If you're a Disney Plus subscriber and you're watching The Mandalorian, Jack and I have a podcast for you. Every week, we'll discuss the latest episode of The Mandalorian and talk about other great content and maybe some not-so-great content on Disney Plus as well. As two lifelong Star Wars fans, we have a ton of fun geeking out over all the little details of the show, and we want you to join us every Monday. So search for Disney Plus Reviews. That's Disney P-L-U-S Reviews. Hey, Phil, how about that, Baby Yoda? Baby Yoda says, what's the podcast? At Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. And our friends really friends. If you don't know them, so grab a popcorn. And head over to our row. So we can chat movies. Like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop writer Alice. Good day. As well as Sif Pop writer Nash. First time on the show. Hello, hello. Well, we're at SifPop.com. We do movie reviews, best ever challenges. Lots of other movie-related uh, articles. Uh, Alice does our one-stop pops every month. The Uncharted mm-hmm. came out a yes. couple weeks ago, but when this episode airs in one week, I think is mm-hmm. a is a one stop pop article, so that's fun. Nash has done uh, mostly BECs, so we both write, we all write for sipbop.com. Uh, we do all that stuff, uh, but on the show, on the podcast, we're going to do uh, coming attraction. We got Morbius coming out this week. Uh, we'll give our thoughts on that coming out, and then we'll move on to the Sif topic. We'll talk about the Harry Potter films because Fantastic Beasts: The Secrets of Dumbledore is coming out in uh, I think two weeks. I don't know; it's four weeks now, but. Uh, when we're recording, but I think it's two weeks when this launches. So mm. we got that going on. Uh, when we're done with that, we'll do the uh, B plot, which we have to create a Sif sort for the 10 Harry Potter films. Sorry, Wizarding World films, where we'll have to collectively agree on a ranking of this franchise. And we'll wrap up with a spinoff as well. But uh, first, let's get a chance to know our writers this week. Nash, let's start with you. This is the first time on the show. Uh, so when did you realize that movies are kind of your thing? Oh, man. I feel like... I've kind of always known uh, they were kind of like my escape when I was a little kid. And then when I went off to college and I was able to watch anything I wanted to watch, it just felt like I just entrenched myself in movies. It just became my thing. So I don't know. 2013, I guess, is when I was like, here I go. We're in it now. Do you have like a specific movie that you think was maybe the catalyst? Like one that you saw and you're just like game changer. Movies are my thing. Yeah, I actually I kind of have two. Um, nice. Let's I think the the first time I saw the Lord of the Rings, it was actually Lord of the Rings and the Twin t- or the Two Towers, which is the first Lord of the Rings I saw. Um, blew my mind, changed my life. And then I remember being very young and watching Die Hard with my father. Far too young to watch Die Hard, by the way. Nice. Just being except like it's an, an exceptional movie, and I remember being in love with it. You know, at eight years old. And so both of those, I think, were like linchpins in my movie watching history that are like, this is why I like movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's awesome. So what's your favorite movie of all time? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I knew this question was coming and I still don't really have a great answer. Recently, I've been saying Children of Men. Okay. Which is, which yeah. is also kind of topical for today's with Quaron. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just think it's an incredible film. It's perfect in every way. So that's, that's it right now. Yeah, that's a really, really, really great pick for sure. So, what do you what do you think like specifically? Like, it's a perfect film, but like, what what resonates with that movie the most? You're willing to say that that's your favorite film today? I think watching Children of Men for the first time, once again in that 2013 2014 era, was the first time that I specifically started noticing like the technical aspects of film just absolutely blowing me away 
beyond even just like this looks pretty it feels like every movement is so is so precise and like i can see him in that movie i'm also a sci-fi guy so i like kind of like that post-apocalyptic world thing i don't know it's it also just i think it resonates right now in general for the time that we're living in i just kind of feel like children of men kept popping up recently over the past couple of years in my yeah. head in terms of comparisons i don't know it's just something i love to revisit i think quaran is one of the best currently working and it might be his masterpiece in my personal opinion it's it's one of, it's one of two of his films that i would consider you know might be the best thing he's ever done so yeah also i think clive owen is like an underrated actor and i think he's kind of gotten lost in the wind in the last I decade feel like- I don't know the underrated is the right word. I feel like he he would at the same time he was taking all those great roles. He was also taking a lot of those really awful Nick Cagey kind of roles. That's like, true. It's okay because impeachment was insane. Like he was so so good in that move in that show. Was, rather, uh, yeah. If you guys it? haven't seen American Crime Story Impeachment, he plays Bill Clinton, and it's like oh, that's what you're saying. Got it. Oh. Yeah. Sorry, I just realized yeah. might need some extra context. I was like. Uh. <laughs> In the new season um, of American sorry. Crime Story, yeah, impeachment, um, he plays Bill Clinton. You wouldn't know it unless you knew that he plays Bill Clinton because the makeup and the way he acts is like, it's Bill, it, he is Bill Clinton. It's insane. Um, nice. But yeah, he's definitely, I, he's due for a few noms, I'd say, in the upcoming award season for TV. He's definitely going to be on the awards circuit. Good. He deserves it. That's awesome. Now, you've been around Civ Pop for a hot second. Uh, kind of when and why uh, did you get involved in uh, writing for the website? Uh, July of 2020, I was unemployed, as a lot of people were. <laughs> and I just, I, I kind of was in this in this mood of wanting to f- kind of follow my dream a little bit of becoming a writer. And I had a ton of spare time. And I had through, I mean, it's probably a lot of people's entry into the Civ Pop world was through Cinnamon Sins, through Aaron Dicer, through mm-hmm. Aaron Dicer tweeting about it, and then kind of just getting, like, reading the articles, liking the BECs, and then eventually I just, I think I emailed Ben at the time, and yeah, it's, that's kind of the where it came from. Just, I just wanted to get some experience writing about movies under my belt, and I thought it was a really cool way to start, because um, it's something I followed for, at least tangentially, for years. Man, that's crazy, this almost coming up on two years so mm-hmm. Oof, time flies you're telling me <laughs> right well this podcast started we're guys this is episode 94 holy i know jeez all right Very um alice you've been on the show one or two or a dozen times uh so <laughs> so i thought let's let's play the list of shame games so alice has mm-hmm. come prepared with three films two one of which she has not seen and nash you and i are gonna have to guess which one we believe you mean the one seen. of which I have seen, right? That, oh, that's yes, what... sorry. Reverse. So three, <laughs> like, bo- oh, no. three movies, two of them that you have not seen, one of them yep. you have seen. We have to guess which one we think you have seen. So let's hear let's hear your picks. All right. Do you want me to pause after each one or just go through all three and then you guys can discuss? Just go through all three and we can discuss. Okay. Die Hard, Aliens, There Will Be Blood. Wow. Okay. Okay, I just have to... Did you add Die Hard after I said it, or was that just an incredible coincidence? I don't want to say anything. Okay, no, it was, cool. a, it, was a, it was a coincidence. I came okay. up with this list before we started the show. Gotcha. <laughs> Nash, you and I do not have to agree on a film. We do, you, We can each have different picks, but uh, this isn't... We are collectively deciding, so we can each decide. This is really stumping me. 
Hmm. Wait, is Aliens first or second? Second. Second. That's second. the Cameron. Gosh, if, it would feel weird to watch Alien and not watch Aliens. I would agree. At least if Die Hard is the first one. It's not like you're like, I haven't seen Die Hard 4 or whatever. It's like, well, then you're not missing out. Well, I, mean, I, re- I really like Die Hard 4. But, you know, that's that's very different than starting in the middle of a franchise. There, there Will Be Blood is just too big, and I know how much of an Oscars person you are. Yeah, I feel like There Will Be Blood is also the one that might be the least accessible to a lot of people. And that's the thing is I don't know Alice super well, so I don't know. Okay, I think I have a guess. I have my pick. It's going to be the one that makes the least sense to me. I'm going to go with Aliens. What are you going with, Nash? I, I'm going to, I'm going to say there will be blood. Okay, so the film I have seen is Aliens. <laughs> I know, I know. I watch every, I do watch every Oscar film, but there have been misses because, for your reference, Nash, every year I watch every single Oscar film. I have five left for this year. Um, I watched Coming to America before this uh, podcast. It was not good. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> but when There Will Be Blood came out, I was like 13. So I didn't realize anything about the movie and it looked really boring. And also my mom was like, no. And so, and then I just never got around to actually watching it. So, and then, yes, I haven't seen Die Hard. I know, I know. I just, uh, I understand. Like the thing is, it's one of those movies that's so prolific that I know everything about it and I've seen scenes from it and I know what happens and I know how it happens and I've never been like you know what I want to watch die hard so (laughs) I experienced that like four times a year (laughs) yeah fair enough but you've seen it so I I feel like I I know I'll like it when I've seen it I've just again never got it same with there will be blood I know everything about it and I know I'll like it once I've seen it I've just never gotten around to it but um but Aliens is actually, I've seen, obviously, Alien and Aliens. I haven't seen any of the others, uh, yeah, except for, like, Prometheus and Covenant. Because, I like you know. those, too. Don't roll your eyes. I will roll my eyes, Aaron. <laughs> roll, yeah, roll them, roll them. Big roll. Um, but I actually like Aliens better than Alien, uh, personally. Mm. Not They're both excellent films, though. But, yeah. Every bone in my body said Aliens was the wrong answer. So yeah. I figured that, that has to lead to Well, I'm to glad something. it was a bit conflicting. <laughs> Super conflicting. Oof, we did it. Um, all right, so just one random question uh, before we move on. Something that's totally not movie-related, just to get a little glimpse of who you are outside of film. I gotta know. The, here's the question that came up in the random question generator. It said, what is your favorite local joint? I like this question, but we're going to have to modify it for a little bit, right? Because I think, like, your favorite local joint, but, like, what about that specific place makes it your favorite? So I can go first while you guys are thinking. I'm actually having an answer for this. I live in Iowa City. In Iowa uh, City, there's this restaurant uh, locally owned. It's Monica's. Um, It's Italian food. It's just really well done. It's It's a relatively small restaurant. It's not fine dining, but it kind of feels like it is. It's not a cheap meal. I like seafood. They incorporate seafood into some of their dishes. Like they have a lobster pasta that's just incredible. But if you go to Monica's and don't get the salmon or the ribeye, then like you're doing it wrong. But like they make their ribeye with like a, a balsamic glaze um, or you could get it like with like a like a sweet bourbon glaze. It's just like or the salmon. Not only that, but like the owner of the restaurant is frequently around it and frequently interacting with guests. And I just love that because they are consistently voted the best place to eat in Iowa city. And here's this guy, he's this lovable old sweet man that just like, you go to pick up food and he taps you on the shoulder. He says, Hey, thanks. I love that. You know? So that's my place. 
And that's why that's my favorite local joint. Wonderful. I guess I'm probably going to lean towards, it's called Fire on the Mountain. And it is, I mean, I'm a big chicken guy. Um, so it's a, <laughs> so it's a wings place. Okay. And it's my favorite, it's my favorite wings place in, in Portland. There's a couple locations. I feel like I have like a chicken scale and it's usually at like the nine or 10, like the best, like, yeah. I mean, it's just like, it has a, you go in there and it's just like a really nice vibe and Portland is a big like basketball city. And so with the trip Portland trailblazers, there's always just a bunch of Portland trailblazer stuff in there. And I've gone in there and there's actually been trailblazers there. And I've like just sat down and sat next to one of them. So it's just a, it, it seems like a, it's just a really cool place to eat and watch, you know, watch the blazers play and, hang out with people so it's probably my favorite local place it's not anywhere else one of the players was there when i ate one time and i was like trying to not freak out and every <laughs> you could tell you could tell everybody was like Haha, that's that's damian lillard haha and nobody wanted to approach him so just casual I, I, look i forgot portland had a basketball team so i'm how not gonna dare <laughs> you i don't how follow the nba you? okay and, and, you, know, you, you said you, you said Portland, and my first thought was, "Oh, Seattle just got a hockey team this year. That's kind of close." Uh, yeah, the Seattle Kraken. It's a great, neat. It's a great team name and an awesome logo. Alice, what do you got? Yeah, so would you believe it? My favorite Amer- uh, my favorite local place does American food. So I have a small why? yet. <laughs> yeah, okay, so I'll tell I'll tell you why. You're Italian. <laughs> Yeah, I make the Italian food. I mean, I do have places right, nearby that that's I fair. like. I love that do Italian food, but my favorite, like, I have a small yet powerful addiction to this place. It's called Sparrows Philly Cheesesteaks. And mm. as per the name, they make really, really good Philly cheesesteaks. And um, on the same wavelength as you, Nash, they also make excellent buffalo wings. And then they also make full pretzels. I love pretzels so every when i order from them i order the mushroom philly cheesesteak so it's like it's like a philly cheesesteak with mushrooms in it as well it's so good and then there's the buffalo wings it's like 10 buffalo wings and then um the pretzel the big pretzel and it's oh my god i'm always so full afterwards but just thinking about it now is making my mouth water it's just perfect like Mm. it's obviously not good for me but it's also not mcdonald's you know what i mean like it's so so yummy and it's really near my place, but I'm still so lazy I Uber Eats. <laughs> like I could technically walk eight minutes and it I would be able to get it, but I just get it or I just brought, get it brought to my house. And yeah, it's just perfect for when I like if I'm home alone, my partner every time he comes home after like having been out for dinner or whatever, he's like, How was Philly cheesesteaks? <laughs> Cause he knows that that's what I order for myself every single time. And it's just, Oh, it's so good. And just like the cheese and the meat and the, the Buffalo wings come with um, this blue cheese sauce. I personally mm. believe that blue cheese sauce is better than ranch. I, I will also say in Australia, ranch is, I don't understand the obsession you guys have sure. with ranch. Ranch sure. is like, yeah. Like I just and, I don't and get blue it. cheese international is very different than the blue cheese we have. Maybe yeah, because ours is I like li- I like both. It yeah. depends on what kind of wing I'm getting with which dipping sauce I want. Yeah, absolutely, and I think because of the buffalo wings, you know, they're spicy and the blue cheese. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. the combination is just anyway. So that's my favorite Sparrow Philly cheesesteaks. It's in Fitzroy, Melbourne. If anyone's listening from Australia, there's also one in Thornbury, and it's so good. I love it so much. <laughs> Alice, the real question is for your pretzels, do you dip them in mustard or queso? Uh, it comes with mustard. so okay. But I do do a, a double dip between the mustard and the blue cheese sauce. And then 
that's what I ate a minute. I think um, I think mustard is just the best condiment for a pretzel, and like that I makes sense. Queso. I love queso, but ground mustard is just so stinking. Queso good for a really isn't that like we don't we I don't even know any main restaurants or even Mexican restaurants that really serve queso. It's just not a thing here. Would you, you know, Alice, the more you talk about Australia, the less the less I want to come. <laughs> other you things ranch, you don't have queso like i'm so from we, the midwest we have like, ranch we have it <laughs> you don't I have good ranch well at least I, at least i, at least I know what trick. i need to put in a suitcase before i go <laughs> bottle of hidden valley I bottle mean- of white queso <laughs> <laughs> the weirdest customs check of all time uh, they'll be like okay i mean you know that there's a dairy check <laughs> by the way when you enter australia they're like do you have any dairy products with you so they'll have to look at it and then they'll probably be like i'm pretty sure we sell both like we do sell in stores and stuff like proper ranch and stuff i just personally it's just mayo like i just i'll go to australia and i'll find an american shop i guarantee you you will find oh amazon prime our food is better (laughs) just i mean our food like australian australian food but we have so it's so multicultural. We have like all the food. It's great. I have I have this recipe. I might need to send you. But I my favorite dish to make is this uh, Philly cheesesteak stuffed peppers. So you oh. like cook up your steak and you cook up mushrooms and onions and throw it in a skillet and then you roast some uh, red and green peppers <laughs> and you stick some provolone in there and a little bit of your topping. Uh, your Nash steak just looked mixture. like he was in pain for a second. And you put on and you put on more provolone and then you stick it in the broiler so the cheese gets all melty and then you just have. Like this Philly cheesesteak ingredient in a half of a red bell pepper, and it's just nice. it's delicious. So, oh yeah, send it through. I'll make it one night. Nash, what was that wince for? Uh, well, you mentioned three of my least favorite foods, and I'll eat a lot of food, but I do not like mushrooms, onions, or bell peppers. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Like, no, those aren't uncommon. Those aren't uncommon. I don't like raw onions. You have to cook onions, but. Okay. Red bell pepper is, I think, maybe the best snack to ever exist. Oh, right. <laughs> so. Absolutely not. <laughs> On that note, speaking of red bell peppers, let's talk about Morbius for a second. <laughs> what a segue. <laughs> Morbius coming out this week to theaters. Uh, probably. I don't know. Like I said, we're recording this a couple weeks in advance. Um, April 1st is what it's currently slated for. This episode's supposed to come out slightly before then. Uh, but we had to record early because this Oscars are next weekend, so we're going to be busy. So Woo! that's why we're recording a little extra early. Yeah, so we'll see if Morbius doesn't get pushed back. But I think they're intent on keeping their April 1st date. Uh, the synopsis for this film is that uh, biochemist Michael Morbius tries to cure himself of a rare blood disease. He inadvertently ineffect- infects himself with a rare f- with a form of vampirism instead. This is, uh, in- this is a Marvel comic book film, but it's not MCU. Um, it might be MCU adjacent. But is we're it? We're not sure. <laughs> Well, I don't it's know. The, it's the Sony Marvel, right? It's yeah, it's, but it's made by Sony. MCU not characters Disney. in it, though. <laughs> well, there's one yeah. that's confirmed, and there's one that is heavily rumored that I hope to God comes true. But yeah, we don't have. I mean, Matt. No, Matt Smith wasn't in anything. I was like, well, Matt Smith was in one of the. Netflix no, he movies. hasn't. And I'm like, why are you in this one? Be a super, a proper superhero. <laughs> so don't be like, it looks like, I mean, all we have so far is that he walks down. He, he's walking very intently in the scene we've seen him in. So in my head, I'm thinking he's just going to be a bureaucratic asshole. That's just Probably. the way he walks and he looks. That's kind of what I'm assuming, but we shall see. Mm. Uh, starring Jared Leto, uh, Michael Keaton is the MCU crossover actor. Uh, Jared Harris, Tyrese Gibson, Matt Smith. Um, I don't think anybody else that I'm really missing. I could be wrong. I mean, I'm sure I miss people here a lot, but 
uh, I try to go for the really recognizable names. Um, Daniel Espinosa directing, uh, a couple screenplay writers, uh, uh, Burke Sharpless, Matt Shazama, uh, Matt Shazama, sorry, uh, Roy Thomas credited for the comics. This is a movie that's been talked about for a while. Finally hit out, hit, you know, finally it's coming. I know they talked about making this movie for so long before they actually got to work. I think like, wasn't David Bowie supposed to be in um, Mm -hmm. Morbius movie for a long time? Man. Um, Instead we get this. Uh, So Nash, we're going to start with you. This is your first time on the show. Uh, This is a theatrical exclusive. We don't need to have that caveat, but let's just forget COVID exists for a second. Let's forget about budgets, anything. Nothing is keeping you from seeing this movie except for your free will. Would you go see this opening weekend? Wait for a matinee. Wait till you can rent it at home. Wait till it's on a streaming service you already pay for, or are you just not interested in seeing Morbius? Well, okay. I'm I'm the ty- I'm the type of guy that will that like I go to the theater to see pretty much anything even though when I know I don't want to see it. To adhere to your prompt, oh, 100% a streaming movie. I don't want to pay money to see this movie. Like I am so far removed from any desire to watch Jared Leto lead uh like I just that that's I'm yeah, streaming. I'm the type of person that wants like I need to I have like a completionist problem where i need to see movies mm. so i can't miss it but i'm not shilling out any dollars to go see him alice where do you sit i have to go see it opening night because i'm writing the review for it but <laughs> you picked it <laughs> i know but i picked it so long ago <laughs> you picked it in january where it was maybe the best option <laughs> It literally, there was no other choice. I wasn't that I was like, ooh, Morbius. I was more like, eh, Morbius. And now it's like, all right. So I will be going to see see it opening night or weekend. But my (laughs) anticipation levels, like, yeah, it's like almost under stream. It is streaming. I will watch it because I'm the same as you, Nat. I'm a completionist. I need to watch it so I can understand it within the realm of the rest of the, you know, extended or whatever mcu i'm curious about what's going to happen in it it's just like venom 2 and all that sort of stuff like i'll watch it but in this case everything about it looks so bad Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. i'm not a jared leto hater either like i've i understand that there's this huge hatred for him which i don't really know what sparked it i mean i think partly it's his joker but also he's like stupid method acting. I personally, look, I'm, I'm about to do a hot take right squad. now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm about to do a real hot take right now. I think method acting is a bit stupid. But I think anyway, depending on the role, you know. But when it's like the Joker and you supposedly end up sending, you know, used, you know, things and, and like dead rats and stuff. You're to allowed people. to say condom on the show. Okay. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but I was like, imagine if a parent's listening to this with their kid and then the kid's like, what's a condom? It's like, oh dear. Like Prophylactic. But um, yeah, no, like used condoms and like dead rats and stuff. And it's like, and it was for that role. I'm just like, D- you don't need a method, Joker. You don't need to method Morbius. Again, I, I, my non-anticipation for this movie has nothing to do with Jared Leto. It just has to do with I was watching the movie and trailer and I'm just like, uh, what? Like, you know, like, it's just, yeah. So that's pretty much where I stand. Streaming barely and also, but technicality, I have to be there opening weekend. Grumble, grumble. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to see this movie um, at some point. Probably a matinee opening weekend. In terms of my actual interest level, I'm going full-blown not interested in seeing this movie. I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm like like you guys. I'm a completionist. And 
I don't think it's a spoiler because these rumors are very unfounded, but it's heavily rumored that this might take place in the Amazing Spider-Man universe, that this will be connected to Venom, and this might take place in the Amazing Spider-Man universe. But then how does Michael um, Caton make sense? He could still he could play the same character in both universes, just different okay. versions of the same character. Okay. Um, that's kind of that's how maybe... Maybe he fits into this, uh, but there's there's a shot of a Spider-Man that looks very reminiscent of the Amazing Spider-Man 2 costume on uh, on the walls. So I have to see it because if it's true, if this really takes place in the Amazing Spider-Man universe, like that means that the chance of me getting an Andrew Garfield Amazing Spider-Man 3 is great. And like I need to see it for that, but as far as like, if this was going to be... So here's, here's the thing about these standalone or these cinematic mm. universes now. If this was back in the early days of superhero movies where they would just like churn them out and be like, yeah, sure, here's this movie, this one, and it doesn't matter. There's no continuity, whatever. Like, or, or like, this doesn't actually pertain to any other movie. Like, this is just kind of its own thing. Like, I wouldn't go see this, you mm-hmm. know? But I feel like this has to tie in and mean something important to something else. So I, di- I just need to see what that is. Yeah. Um, I, I don't What's hate the, the character casting of is actually. Lowe cool like morbius as a character yeah. is a cool character it's, it's like the running joke it's like oh it's marvel's batman because he's literally a batman but like yeah, but, they should be saying he's man bat but you know. yeah he's man bat yeah exactly like he's like, got cool Matt elements Smith is a great actor him. he was oh, maybe the jared, best harris. jared harris is excellent how did he get cut like the, the cast know. is pretty insane also i will say I mean, all things Skipson about jared leto aside he looks insane for 50 years old. Like, right? I, I look like that at 50. You know, like, he still has um, hair, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Clearly. have hair at 27, so. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> and, but and I like, wish I could grow a beard like that. And But, like, so it's, like, a cool character and it's a cool concept and everything. I'm just a bit worried it's been done in the most basic way. <laughs> No, this feels like this would have been like a great superhero movie prior to Iron Man and uh, The Dark Knight, mm. like that before that 2008 year, where we really had no idea what a good superhero movie looks like. I mean, we really thought that X2 was the greatest thing ever. And like, it's good. Yeah. But it's not. Like, it's, yeah. so, so like, this feels like right at home in that, in that era. Yeah. I actually, I, I think I want to double back too. I, I don't like Jared Leto, mm-hmm. but I think I meant by him being in that movie is that I am not convinced that let's say Morbius is incredible, which, okay, it's not going to be incredible, but <laughs> let's say let's, for the sake of argument, it's like, it's, it it's amazing. Yeah. And what they're, you know, what they're trying to do is, you know, create this like multiverse of, of movies, or even if it's just within that universe. Yeah. Um, they're trying, I, I don't see Jared Leto being committed enough to like, want to do more movies. Like, I, he doesn't seem like that I type disagree. of guy. I disagree. The Joker. Really? Like, he was so desperate to yeah, continue that true. character, but the DCU is such a freaking mess that he's kind of shoved into Snyderverse and like, but he totally yeah. wanted to be the Joker across multiple movies and solo movies and everything. But he That's never, true. I feel like he's got that yes. like itch that he wants to scratch. And so he's like, aha, all right, DCU didn't work. MCU. Well, he's, <laughs> he's also in. Uh, let's see. The he's in Tron Three. Uh, is mm. rumored to be in there. 
Um, there is a, apparently an announced Jared Leto Joker project. Like he's <laughs> this isn't his first time trying to get into a. Fr- I mean, Blade yeah. Runner twenty forty nine. I think was always intended to be a one off, but like, yeah, I don't I don't know that this is his first time. I, I guess I, I just I guess I just have a really skewed opinion of him of of like somebody who want is trying to chase an Oscar and like d- thinks higher of himself than being in a mm. in a but I, I you're totally right I didn't even think about that he was like desperate about the Joker movie so okay I stand corrected well, he's already won his Oscar <laughs> for Dallas Buyers Club he's going for it in House of Gucci it just he misses I think my my issues with Morbius don't stop and end it uh, start and end it uh, no uh, the Jared CG Leto. it's just which no. I'm willing CG to look past look good. it's a trailer because I'm hoping yeah. that it's like yeah. trailer CG it'll be better but oh it's when you make a person's face look like a bat you gotta I'm a bit worried I'll just say that much <laughs> well and the tone doesn't feel right it feels like they're mm. trying to go for a Venom tone because they have that like the last part of that trailer yeah where they go like a Venom no I'm just kidding it's Michael Morbius how would you do it like it's like yeah. I don't, I, you're not getting the tone that like I, I'm much more interested in this film if it's made like 10 years ago with David Bowie right than mm. than it is you know now um yeah and it's it's just I don't know and I'm not really interested in the story in general I'm not a big fan I don't really person. get what the story is besides he has a illness and then he becomes a man bat like i feel like that's what the trailer and whatever is showing man bat, right I but it's, it's exactly like man bat. but what's the bit after he gets the powers i'm not quite I don't know. certain and who, and who is he is. fighting and why should yeah. i care about who he's fighting and is exactly. he a villain is he a hero is he an anti-hero is he i'm also curious as to why they're doing this now when blade is still quite a bit away because sure. like blade is so but again it's like a sony one so i don't really know what the yeah it's very weird. Very I don't know, weird. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Ooh, what if they make this movie and then Mahershala Ali's blade comes in and he but kills? But then it can't the be beginning. in the Amazing Spider-Man universe. <laughs> you can't. Let me have it. Because that would solve that would solve our Jared Leto doesn't want to be in a franchise proposition by Nash if we just kill him immediately by Blade. No, they're so. not going to kill him. <laughs> He's going to be an anti-hero. <laughs> yeah. They want him to come back. It's fascinating that I think on paper, I'm pretty mildly interested in this movie. Yeah, like, on paper. May- maybe even severely, but it, there's also an element of we've seen this trailer for so long because. Oh my gosh, right? I think yeah. the trailer delayed for two years. Yeah. I'm pretty sure delayed for two years because of COVID. And I think they kept on finding excuses to delay it, you know, like. Yeah, I don't get the delay January. from Jen to March, but. Probably like... Spider Man still tearing up the box office. Maybe, um, or maybe they were like, oh crap, we need to fix this bit. <laughs> but yeah, it feels like we've seen this trailer a lot Let's of times. Let's just say it could be forever. quite a colorful review for me. <laughs> Let's just say. Here we go. All right, I think we spent enough time on that. Yes. Uh, Let's move to Harry Potter. Let's Let's move it. to Harry Potter. Let's do that. Uh, first of all, uh, we'll be talking about the Harry Potter films and Fantastic Beasts. We will fully spoil all of these. So if you haven't seen the movies and you really care, uh, then, then either skip over the ones you haven't seen or... Stop now, binge 10 movies, and then come back. <laughs> um, so we'll, we, everything, anything and everything in these films is on the table. Uh, but let's start off a little bit with our history with the franchise. Um, I'll start first. Um, I, I saw the first two a ton because these were, what, 2001 and 2, mm-hmm. I think? I was mm-hmm. 6 and 7. Like, I'm perfect age for these films. Um, so I saw the first two a lot. I don't think I've ever actually seen any one of these 10 in theaters. Um, so, uh, so there's that. So I saw the first two relentlessly on, uh, DVD, 
and saw the third one quite a bit, but the fourth one really killed all my interest as a kid because that's when it sort of starts to be more serious and not fun anymore. Um, and so as a kid, I was like, yeah, I'm not really interested in that. Um, and uh, and then I think it was a while, and then I finished the franchise except for seeing the very last one for a while. And then I think a year and a half ago, my wife uh, watched all the films. So I've seen eight Fantastic Beasts 1 and 2 um, once before this podcast. I think part one, uh, Deathly Hollows part one and Order of the F- was also was twice before this podcast. Um, Order of the Phoenix was, I think, three times. And Goblet of Fire, like, I don't know. The farther along you got, the less I saw them. So uh, mm-hmm. that's kind of my history. Um, yeah, is what it is. Nash, let's go to you. Let's work our way up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think I, we're, we're in the same boat there where we, we're, we might be the same age because those movies were coming out. And I, I, I was... I'm a 95 child, so. so... So am I. So I was like growing up with those movies and it's like they kept coming out and they were corresponding with where I was in life. Um, I was seeing them on like in the States, ABC Family when they would play on like yeah. Halloween and Christmas time. Yeah. Um, and I remember enjoying them a lot. And then five was the first one I saw in theaters. And then I saw the rest of them in theaters since then. Um, and I'm, I mean, as I've gotten older, I've gotten farther away from like loving it maybe like, but I have a lot of like youth love for it. Um, I've probably seen the whole franchise through and through maybe 20 times. I've seen some movies more than others because as we'll get into, I like some of the movies more than others. But I have, in general, have a lot of, like, nostalgia love for most of those movies and genuine love for a couple of them. Like, so. Yep. Yeah. All right, Alice, let's hear it. I love Harry Potter. <laughs> it has defined me. I'm not even joking. A big part of my identity is defined by the original series. Um, like, and again, when I say Harry Potter, it very much is Harry Potter and then there's Fantastic Beasts, which I'm sure we'll get to. Well, I'm, I know we'll get to, but... I have seen every single one of them in theatres. So I'm a 94 child. So y'all are young whippersnappers in comparison <laughs> by that one yeah, year. Yeah, for sure. For um, sure. But no, I, I remember I saw the first one when I was six. And every year, you know, since it was released, I've watched them multiple times over the years. So you guys might have done homework in the prep for this episode. I did not need to because they are so clear. I can quote the first three movies because I watched them. I think I watched the third one an insane amount. I had it on DVD and I just watched it and the special features like 50 times when I was a child. It's, and so I can quote those films fully back to back. I've seen the rest of hundreds of times probably. I, yeah, I know everything. I can picture them all in my head. I can, sometimes when I need to go to sleep, I just picture, I start the movie in my head and I just like drift off that way. Um, I've read the books or i and I have multiple copies of the books, illustrated, non-illustrated. Um, I've read them multiple times. You know, I've seen the play, um, which is awful, terrible. I mean, the play itself is great. The story's terrible. Um, and, yeah, it's just I, I love Harry Potter so much. <laughs> so, I um, yeah, I, it's defined me and my generation. <laughs> there we go, resident fangirl Alice. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, before we talk about the movies itself, we thought it would be uh, important for us to mention the fact that um, the creator of this this franchise is constantly trending on Twitter, usually for the wrong reasons, almost always for the wrong reasons. And I uh, just wanted to say up front 
Um, we'll have we'll have a little bit of time here, uh, but for the most part, once we dive into this, um, this is art from artist all the way, um, separating art from artists. So um, when we get to talk about the films, we are talking about the films and their merits, so we can judge J.K. Rowling as a writer, not as a human. Once we get into the film discussion, discussion, but I think it's pretty important to note early on that she's a pretty despicable person um, based off of the things that she tweets. So absolutely. I mm-hmm. think that's all I have to say about that. I, I but you know, that's I, I don't know what more to say and like I don't wanna like say yeah, too think much and I don't from, wanna not from say the enough. point of view as someone who's been a fan like literally since I was five years old when I first listened to Stephen Fry's audiobook <laughs> recording. Um it's it was a big like I had to really think about it when JK Rowling did come out and Turns out she's not a good person. Um, she's become senile and fully given into it. That's my theory. And somebody needs to just take away her Twitter and just like you're, you have money uh, now. She's, just she's go away. right now. Yeah, but oh, she, is she officially. Well, that's good. It's about time. Oh, wow. but, I'm um, sure she, uh, suspended, not like completely suspended, but I'm pretty yeah. sure she's suspended. Wow. But point is, like, I just yeah, I, I had to really think about it, and my you know art from the artist we've mentioned this but i do think harry potter in general like it Mm. the franchise and the story and the wizarding world has really grown beyond just the original creator not just because it's not just a series of books or movies anymore it's you know books movies play theme park like stores literally dedicated to harry potter um it's i think it's because what it represents and what it defined the fact that it did really define a lot of people and they as they grew up like myself and i just think that her fall serious fall from grace is not representative of the series and what it represents and what it means to people and so definitely i just had to yeah i still love harry potter i love you know everything about it i don't love the author in fact i seriously yeah just don't even want to think about her because she's unfortunately yeah it's just she's fallen from grace she's gone full C now she's gone full weird and unfortunately that sometimes happens with the artists behind the art yeah uh looks like um uh she's not suspended on twitter oh. at, at the current hmm. moment i think she was recently yeah. so who's that uh, yeah yeah I mean, I completely agree with the two of you. I, yeah, I, I think it's important to bring up in the discussion right now, particularly because of how prevalent it is right now. Because it seems like it's uh, every two weeks, uh, once a month, mm. something new is something new comes out. Um, and also, um, I think particularly because it's Women's History Month, like I think, are um, yeah. it's important. Um, but you know, I, I, you guys covered it, and I totally agree with both of you. Yeah, probably all we need to say. Sure. So from now on, um, we have already said how we judge J.K. Rowling, the person. Now we get to judge her art, um, not the artist, but her art. Um, so um, we can move on and talk about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone or Harry Potter and the Philosopher's, Philosopher's Stone, Stone, whichever region you're in. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Because um, <laughs> apparently Americans are too dumb to figure out what Philosopher's Stone is. Oh, that's literally, you got, you got that's that literally right. why they called it the Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> Uh-huh. In America only, because they were like, no, nah, they're not going to understand what Philosopher's Stone is. Fair. Um, <laughs> although Sorcerer's Stone kind of makes more sense. No, anyway, it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> they're sorcerers. They're not no. philosophers. They're yes, they sorcerers. are. They're philosophers in the oh alchemical God. sense. All right, we're not going to spend, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> this is going to be. You're proving the point, Aaron. What are you doing? <laughs> 
I am playing all American Aaron today. Um, okay. That's whenever I'm outside of the country, I play all American Aaron. Cause like, I'm not a patriotic person except when yeah. I'm outside of the States. Then I'm that guy. Um, yeah. I love, I love to point out landmarks that are clearly not what they are and suggest that they are things. Um, anyway, um, traveling internationally with me is a lot of fun, but also very scary. National <laughs> locals might beat you up. Uh, okay. Harry Potter and the philosopher's stone. Um, uh, like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, think it's just okay. We already know your answer, Alice. Let's hear it. Love it. <laughs> love all right, it. all right. Nash, where do you land on this one? I like it. Nice. Me too. Just like maybe low side to low. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Let's talk about this for a second. Um, let's start with the score. Is it possible that Harry Potter is the best score ever? Yes. It's uh, so iconic. It's so iconic. You hear the Hedwig's theme, you know what mm-hmm. you like immediate. I understand that John Williams has done this many times before, but the fact that it is it almost brings tears to my eyes every time I hear it. You know, the dun dun well, na, 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 It's na. not just Hedwig's theme theme it's too. Not, the but it's not, but it's higher score yeah. for all of the films. All, all yeah. of the Harry Potter films mm-hmm. are great. Like Jurassic Park Superman, um, 1989 Batman, Star Wars, all these Star Wars, right? All these also greatest of all time. Pirates of the Caribbean, Indiana no. Jones, Indiana Jones, Inception, a lot yeah. of Hans Zimmer, a lot of uh, John Williams. Yeah. But like, as to what is the greatest of all time, though, I'm sure that's a whole other podcast. But I would say that yeah, this yeah, yeah. is in that conversation. Absolutely, like, in that conversation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Nash. Nash, what keeps you from loving this movie? Um, okay. Well, uh, eh. we're going to, we're going to delve into it a little bit. I think I, I love a lot about the first movie because, um, I think it's a really good translation from the book, um, in terms of, in terms of getting you into the magical world. And I think that they hired exactly the right person in terms of Chris, uh, Christopher Columbus, Christopher Columbus, Chris Columbus <laughs> to direct that movie. I think they lucked out too with getting a cast that everybody are, good to serviceable child actors and the adults are all incredible. Like I, I just, well, and those child actors grew to be good adult actors as well. Yes, precisely. Um, I think what holds me back a little bit is because, uh, it, the, those first two, we'll get into the second one in a little bit, but the first two don't like just personally age as well. Like I cringe a little bit more watching them based on the performances based on Quidditch in general. Oh, the CG is awful. We can all agree that the CG yeah. is just, that was, but that it was great for 2001. 2001. You know? But that's yeah. it was 2001 and that was when CGI was the shiny new toy. You know, everyone mm-hmm. decided, I mean, even George Lucas like re-edited stuff in the old Star Wars because he's like, oh, CG, it's so amazing now. You can create things with computers. And then everyone was like, that looks so bad. And then luckily, for the most part, from that point forward, Harry Potter really leaned into practical effects where it could, which is why the rest have aged in terms of the special effects, specifically around the Quidditch section or Mm -hmm. the rubberiness. (laughs) Of the troll. Oh, the tr- the troll isn't even. At, it's honestly, it's the Quidditch. It's like seeing the characters in the back, like gesturing it's also when they're the troll. So- it's definitely also the. troll. It is, but the Quidditch for me is that perfect. Like where you're like, ooh, especially if you watch the Quidditch scene in Philosopher's Stone versus the Quidditch scene in Chamber of Secrets, they're light and day. Like it's 
absolutely no, no don't don't do that again guys cgi it's just it will always age better if you do practical first <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah nash that's touched on something that is going to be a running theme for me for these movies here is my biggest problem with the movies why i'm not a harry potter fanboy there's two reasons number one is this series does the absolute worst job at introducing people and characters and events and spells and all that only when it's relevant and then forgetting they exist for the rest of the time. This series is the worst at that kind of stuff. This series is also, and I think Alice, you would probably agree with me. My wife agrees with me on the uh, on this. The these films are excellent companion pieces to the books. They are not excellent apart from the books. As somebody that has not read the books, I frequently have to turn to my wife to ask question um because she's like oh it's explained in the book this way so these are great companion pieces these are great i agree they, they don't, movie they don't five i agree for movie five that's when it becomes a bit more you get much more context in the books but the first four are literally like word for word or maybe not the first four but the first three so, certainly are almost word to word word for word adaptations if you read philosopher's stone the book and then you watch the movie it's literally the movie like if, so here's here, I wanted to bring this up now because this is going to be my running okay. thing. I have no problem with either of those in this. Yeah, all, all this stuff comes back. Um, there aren't you know, characters that that are introduced um, are in are like come and play a role later. These spells that they learned are foundational, so they're constantly part of a through line to this franchise. I'm just saying this series itself as a whole. So I, I wrote a note for every film on how I feel like they do on both those. And I feel like this first film especially does a great job at being independent from the books. So I don't think that that is the case for this particular film. But I wanted to get that out there. This has been the main thing that has kept me back. The thing that keeps me back about this one is the story itself is kind of weak. Like the, the actual plot. And not only that, but like the, sto- the story itself is... So I, I said it's weak. It takes a back seat. And it's for a purpose. It's because there's so much world building that needs to be done. And that's fine the first couple times you're watching it. But like when I'm really watching it, the more and more it's like, I, there, there's no reason for me to go back and watch this film again in a rewatch. I don't need to watch this film, right? There's no, nothing wrong with me starting it. If we want to say f- five, since that's when Voldemort's back, mm-hmm. like there's nothing that needs that makes me need to watch these first couple. So that's kind of the thing that like, because the story is just not that engaging. I I will actually I, I'm gonna like play my role of like the person running along the top Perfect. of the fence here because Perfect. I can because I kind of agree with you. There have been times when I do rewatches where I will skip the first two. Um, yeah, but I I think I lean more towards what Alice is probably thinking in terms of <laughs> just assume it's whatever the opposite of I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that I think that they do hold up a lot more as just a as a series than than just than companion pieces. Particularly, mm-hmm. I, see, I think particularly moving forward, I think they separate themselves a lot. Starting in book four, and mm. you know, I you know, I no, I disagree yeah. in that in that sense. No, uh, I I agree with you, Nash. I think Aaron, you're entitled to your opinion. I think you, I I was trying to give you like, look, I understand that they have to cut out a lot more from the books as you get into mm-hmm. book four onwards, just because the like 
a, mo- a book that's like 200 and something pages ended up being a two and a half hour movie. So imagine if they'd done all of Goblet of Fire. But sure. the, no, the series, that- okay, I'll give you some actually interesting info, tidbit about me. I didn't actually start reading the books until the fifth movie was about to come out. So I'd watched one okay. to four bookless. I'd listened to the audio book, I think of number two. That was the, my first entry, ironically enough, because my mum was like, you should get more into books. And then, and, you know, I haven't looked back since. But I watched number one and I became obsessed. I mean, obsessed with this series, watching number one to four, ha- not having, telling everyone I'd read the books, but I actually didn't until year five. <laughs> yeah, I know. But now I have, obviously. And I was, all you know, your, all your elementary school friends <laughs> listening to this are going to be so mad at you. I know. But at no point did I feel lost. And I thought they were fully realized stories. And I still think, you know, obviously, yes, now I have read the books in full, I have the context, especially as the last one came out I was right there with everyone else lining up for the Deathly Hallows book release and then I sat down in my house with my mom and mm-hmm. read the entire book back to like we just literally Same. I remember we went we went to the morning release got the book and we both sat in our reading chairs and da- that was the day until we finished maybe it. maybe let me clarify uh, my stance then I think I think for the most part they do an okay job an okay job but <laughs> it's hard for me to say that this film franchise is, is one of the greatest of all times because, because there are definitely moments where it feels like you need the book to fill in some of the gaps. So. I disagree so hard. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I disagree so hard. But that's just because we're I think we're, I'm going to say world... some other things that are going to infuriate you later, so that's okay. <laughs> but I just Specifically think... on these notes. Yeah, well, I think bringing it back to this film as well, you mentioned that you thought the story... <laughs> was weak um, I think it's it's an important story for what ends up being a seven a seven part epic essentially um seven the story eight, was never the room. focus of this one so it yeah. wasn't but it, but it's enough because really what you're needing to do and this is where a lot of franchises since then have gone wrong is they wanted to rush into it I mean this is exactly what the MCU did it built the world up but instead of doing it in one movie it did it across many movies right mm-hmm. but it, that's what's important when you're about to build up a huge world you have to spend the time introducing people and what's so brilliant about the way that this is done is that you have a character who is so integral to the center but has absolutely no idea about any of it so the characters explaining it to him and introducing him to the world and bringing him into it it's also harry is playing that especially in the first movie he's playing the part of the audience where it's like he has pretty much the same idea as any of us do that magic doesn't exist and then all of a sudden this world's been opened up to him and it takes you along and you learn about you know owls and magic and voldemort and you know the history as much as you from an 11 in his case an 11 year old perspective but also establishes the relationships exactly like his relationship i think specifically his relationship with hagrid Mm-hmm. is like one of my favorite things because that you know, that thread is all the way throughout yeah and i i love their early stuff and their relationship in that movie so i'm yeah. sorry i didn't mean it no 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 absolutely yeah. no i 100 percent. i think that's such a great point um and also i mean even the way that he meets his friends you know that's how people mm-hmm. meet their friends like the way it's so naturalized it's like you just kind of come across someone and then you know it really establishes that draco's this like snot-nosed kid but and then you have mcgonagall who's like immediately you can tell that she's a badass and then you have Snape who's like a bit of a weirdo and like creepy and obviously he'd scare an 11 year old child um and then even Voldemort you know even that introduction to that character watching that as a six-year-old is 
horrifying, <laughs> nightmare-inducing. Like that is that, oh. that wood scene used to scare the crap <laughs> me out of me too. Oh me yes, too. the wood scene. That oh, the, I used to not be able to watch. Like I literally used to watch it through my hands. That scene mm-hmm. used to scare me so much. But I also nightmare fuel. Part of the reason I also love this series is because it doesn't talk down to its audience, right? It shows scary things to kids, but that's, I always thought it's important to kind of traumatize yourself a little bit as a kid because it's character building, right? So it's like mm-hmm. all the old fantasy films of your or old Disney films, there's always these elements where you're like, oh, that's intense to watch as a five-year-old, but it's like, it helps you kind of understand. Ideally, you're not having to come across these feelings a lot in, you know, real life. And so this idea of being scared and of and of dark things and of not good people and it being introduced in this way and then being introduced in the 11 year old way and then growing up as he goes through to 17 i think that what this story series does is it it talks to you at the level that harry is but then it evolves as harry grows and so mm. obviously it becomes more mature it becomes darker it becomes like more um just everything about it becomes more mature and when you start on the first one, it's when you look at the first one, it's so much more bright and colorful and like, look at the magical world. And oh, there's this touch of darkness while slowly the darkness takes over as you go throughout the series. And that's when you end up at Deathly Hallows part two. And I mean, you, you just have to look at the logos like of the WB. That gives you the perfect right, understanding right, right. of how it goes. But anyway, that's my spiel. And I think that well, the story is I'm about not that. I'm disagreeing intro. with yeah. anything that you're saying. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying, you're, it is absolutely doing world building correctly and setting mm-hmm. up for everything great. It's excellent at that. Mm. It's just like, I've seen the movie enough times. I don't need to see this one anymore. Like, there's but there's no, so many beautiful moments. It. There's in nothing it. exciting about it watching it, you know, mm. after the 30th time, you know? So, I, that's I mean, I've seen it more than 30 times and I disagree. <laughs> All right, uh, Chamber of Secrets. Nash, mm-hmm. do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, think it's just okay? Oh, boy. I dislike the Chamber of Secrets. Very like, nice. Uh, <laughs> I, I have never been able to... I'm, I, I've said this for a while now. I don't actually know if it's objectively true. I should just look it up. It's the shortest book and the longest movie, I think. Uh, I think it's clocks in at over two and a half hours, and it's the shortest page... I think it's and, 228. Oh, okay. No, it's, that, two, it's 241, actually. Oh, so yeah, way. yeah. Yeah. And yep. it feels its length. I, that's where, this is where, okay, all the, all the, all the things that Chris Columbus did great in that first one, in terms of that bright energy bringing you in, I, it loses me in the, in Chamber of Secrets. It gets, it feels like it's silly. There's moments there that I really like. I love, obviously I love Dobby. Dobby's great. I love that the introduction of Dobby. Cool. Ah, I just it's a it, like I I say that I will skip the first two. Usually I won't skip that first one. It's like maybe sit like twenty five percent of the time, ninety uh, percent of the time I'm skipping Chamber of Secrets. I don't need to watch it. I it bogs down. Also, it has an extended spider sequence that can go away. <laughs> that is exp- that is expanded upon from the books. They made it way longer from the books. There's not a whole freaking chase out of the little hollow thing that they're in. And I was like, mm-hmm. you didn't need to do this. You didn't need to do it. It's oh, like, I have I have a pet peeve about Chamber of Secrets. Mm. Okay, <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> I'm gonna go on the low side of it's just okay, close to didn't like it, but I think there's enough here that I kind of like it. Alice, 
Loved it. Anyway, moving how? on. Um, so, <laughs> okay, so I will say it's a two-hour and 41-minute movie. It does not feel like a two-hour and 41-minute movie oh unless God, I yes, put it on at 11 p.m. I will also say you're incorrect, Nash. The shortest book is Philosopher's Stone. Is but, it? Okay. Yes. However, it is very interesting that the first two books are the shortest of the series and they're the longest movies, unless you count Deathly Hallows because it's part one and part two and technically that's a four-hour movie. Like you could technically <laughs> – but. On a technicality, sure. like it is the, the they are the shortest books and the I'll the take that technicality. Movies. And that's because <laughs> that's because they Christopher Columbus really did try he literally like <laughs> it's like they took the script and then they're like, All right, what happens in this page of the book? All right that scene's done next page all right and they literally just adapted it directly and then they started being a little bit more creative with it from book three onwards which ended up serving but i think especially you know 2002 i was seven turning eight um and this is really it starts to really introduce that darker element like this one's is there's so many you want to talk about nightmares the spiders weren't even what caused nightmares for me it was the snake voices like it you know they're like i want to rip you blood. I smelled blood. Yeah, I was like, <gasps> like when he's walking down the hallway. I remember watching that as a kid being like, I will have nightmares for weeks. But I'm then, side with that. It's the spiders. The yeah. spiders do it for me. Well, that was my mum too. There you but go, two to one. <laughs> but obviously Dobby, and you know, speaking of CG, Dobby holds up. Like he yeah. really holds yeah. up. It's insane That's that true. this move, this twenty-year-old movie, the CG holds up so well. But also, I really, really love the. So it takes the world building from book one and then really delves into like, okay, now you know the Wizarding World. Now let's learn about the darker parts of it. So you also learn about Lu- Lucius Malfoy. And what I really love is that it starts to introduce the idea that not everyone is fully good or fully bad, unless you're Voldemort, in which case you, you just, you're, you're Laura, you're a lost cause. But that's because it's, it, this is something you wouldn't know if you haven't read the books, but it's because he was conceived under a love potion. And if you're a baby conceived under a love potion, you can't, you don't have the ability to feel love, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> but like. It kind of matters. <laughs> but it just, he's meant to represent all bad, right? That's the point of Voldemort. And that's sometimes, I feel like, especially nowadays. Yeah, we'll get that. it's important i just think especially nowadays there's so many villains now that are like oh but they have a reason for being evil and sometimes it's just nice when your bad guy is just a bad guy you know but i also like no (laughs) but what i pep what i like is that this this movie peppers in like for example draco this kid's an asshole but like yeah it look at his dad like are you surprised look at how he treats dobby look at how he treats draco it's like of course he's gonna end up like this and that's a thread that gets explored throughout the rest of the movies um Mm -hmm. and but then you also learn just about like harry hermione and ron they're not they're our heroes but they certainly aren't perfect and you kind of get to explore that a little bit more i'll let you guys talk a little bit because otherwise (laughs) i could just keep going I, I think there's a lot in this movie that could easily be cut. Um, I, I'll even go as far as to say I, I don't think the whole Hagrid Aragorn things really need to be in the movie at all. Aragorn? Um, you mean Aragorn? Sorry. <laughs> no, Not Aragorn? <laughs> yeah, no. That part, the part where, where Viggo Mortensen comes in and, and Hagrid says, you bow to no one. Uh, or no, he says that to Hagrid. You know, that part. Um, no, the whole Hagrid Aragorn stuff, I think, like, I understand how it kind of makes this whole the story totally complete but like you really don't even need that whole thing you don't we don't need the whole harry trying to figure out like the why hagrid's expelled like it's just not that important 
Um, the thing that really stuck out to me this time watching it, though, like as a kid, I preferred this one over um, Sorcerer's Stone. I, I would rather watch this one because I like darker subject matter. Um, but there's two things that really stick out to me. Like, I love Kenneth Branagh. Yes. But his role just say. does not fit in this movie at all. No! He is. Oh, you're wrong. <laughs> I love what he's doing, but it's just. It's it's a little bit too. I, I get we're talking about a magical thing. It's a little bit too silly for such a serious subject matter, and the movie itself wants to take itself a little bit more seriously than it actually does. And then it throws in Gilderoy Lockhart, who is just like essentially coming straight out of a Tom and Jerry comic. Um, but these people yeah. exist. These people that literally like you know he wouldn't get a job at freaking Hogwarts. <laughs> Yes, he would. But I mean, yes, no, he, he would. Will. Come on. The the it, he would though, because based on all the books he's written, he should have tons of experience. Everybody knows he's a sham from the first second. No, he they don't. Only oh, Harry. Come on. We know. Harry knows. Ron knows. No one else knows. Pretty sure no everybody else- knows. Oh, Dumbledore, Dumbledore knows, probably sure. does, but he's probably just like, eh, they're not. He's Everybody not going to last longer than a year anyway. But it's no, like he goes, McGonagall does one of the know. first thing that happens, and he goes and he fails the the cure Harry's arm, and he instead turns all the bones out of it. It's like you see the looks on people. Everybody knows this guy's. But a how total often does that happen fan. in real life, where people have supposedly amazing backgrounds and amazing like experience, but it's maybe all been exacerbated and you know emphasized and and exaggerated and then when they never actually in america have to perform, no. <laughs> <laughs> when they actually have to perform they fail because they actually they can't stand by their word right they they get by on being a sale art uh, you know on the art of on the art of the deal or like being a i can't say it because it's pg-13 but you know like bullcrap like they get by on bullcrap but it's like these people exist and then it's like oh the sheen is starting to go oh he actually doesn't know what he's talking about and then that's what Gilderoy Lockhart is representing. But also, it just shows that adults can be just as stupid. <laughs> like, that's just... Just because you're an adult doesn't mean you know everything or know anything, for that matter. And he actually is kind of like a horrifying character in that he has warped people's brains to get by. And he ends up having that done to himself. So it's a really nice, like, ha-ha moment, you know, when he when he obliviates himself. As a kid, I would agree with you. As an adult, I <laughs> yeah. disagree with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I actually, I think I was coming, I'm, I'm coming at that too, because it feels like a, it feels like a really great, um, it feels like a really great performance for a kid's movie, maybe. But I like, I like, I, I can see broad strokes that what you're talking about. But I, I, I don't think that, like, if you were an adult viewer watching that, it, I, it does. I feel like come across as like he's like foppish and like just overly silly in a in a in a movie that like has some silly elements, but um, it feels more childlike than weirdly like the rest of it. Like you know, so. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Okay. Um, the other thing that I noticed on this watch through that really bugged me is just the freaking convenience of the students not actually seeing the basilisk. Like, it, I, it's, I, I'm sure that's all part of the book, but it's like for a book, for a story that wants to be super dark, it doesn't take any risks. Like, oh yeah, like Hermione sees the basilisk via a mirror, which sure, she, she figured it out before that, so she knew to look. A student sees it through Nearly Headless Snake's ghost. The cat... See- Why can't you kill the cat? Why did the cat have to see a snake via reflection? Like, yo... <laughs> I, I I would 100% say that this is something that is a product of this works in a book and it just 
it doesn't work as well in film, I think. It works for a kid's movie, and that's ultimately what this is. But that yeah. doesn't mean it translates well to me as a 27-year-old. Yeah, yeah. I think, it, like... Oh, I feel like I'm going to be defending so much. No, no, whole, you won't. You won't moving forward. You won't move forward. Of that. But it's like I, I, th- I, I think it's intelligent in that it's like, oh, it's so easy to just kill someone off. But I think that they again, considering where this book lands in the progression of the other stories, you know, this is really about beginning to give a sense of danger without fully allowing for it. Because you know, give it a couple of books and. All of that safety is not oh, going to be present. Oh, we'll anymore. get there. Yeah, give it we a couple of movies, and then that, that's when you really. Or even honestly, even the next one has some really dark stuff that gets yeah. explored. But um, yeah. this one's more like almost dark, and also it's horrifying enough that it's like they get petrified. And yeah, Hermione, she'll figure it out because it's Hermione. Of course, she's going to figure it out. Honestly. <laughs> the books and the series would not be this long if she was the chosen one. Let's just all agree. <laughs> She's yeah, yeah, really the smartest. But um, but then I think the point is that it's like I find it really interesting that between this one and this uh this book and movie and the next movie, uh, Harry has an adventure with one of his counterparts while the other one is not able to be part of it. So the second, the third one, you know, uh, it's Harry and Hermione for kind yeah. of that climax. And for this one, okay. it's Harry and Ron. And so it's important in terms of the building them up in their relationship, learning how they each kind of work. But then ultimately also Harry has to like have his solo moment at the end, just like how he always does Sure, in, yeah. in both. But then this one really is about that forming a relationship with Ron and you get to learn more about him and then also how they work together. Ron especially the most useless character ever, yeah. Oh my gosh, no. How I mean, yes. You. How yes, <laughs> like he—he's not the most lovable, useless. useless character ever. But <laughs> he, hey, hey, not when he's playing chess, like in the last one. I'm just also, saying. You have no idea. You have no idea how much I like. As a kid, I was like, I'm like Ron. <laughs> <laughs> but also, so it's actually really interesting to me this makeup and going back to the casting. Like, it is insane the casting they were able to do for this series. Like, that is. Mm-hmm. They need to get an Oscar to the casting director. It's like Marvel. They need to give an Oscar to whoever cast the, the this. The fact that they've only, I think they only recast like one major role in the And that's because he well, died. Well, aside from him, but I mean like oh. uh, one of one of Draco's minions. Who It's it's a major role. Oh, they didn't recast role. him. They didn't recast him. He just wasn't they present just, for the last film. Yeah. Well, no, but I thought like they just stopped using Goyle and started using Blaze. Yeah, yeah. That's not a recast. That's a. Oh. Coyle's not there. Oh, sorry, not Goyle. Crab's not there anymore because the <laughs> the real actor got is in jail for drugs. Um, <laughs> but but that's Blaze. That's a different character. All right, I the take only, that yeah. back. Yeah, the only one they've recast is Dumbledore. Which actually, we should talk about Richard Harris before we move on because this is his sure. final performance. And oh yeah, he's a lot of people's perfect Dumbledore. You know, like he he was. You know, very that I. I'm not saying that's what I think, but that is a lot of people's opinions is that he's the he perfect Dumbledore. so good in the mm. first two movies because mm. they're kids' movies. I, he, I always wonder I what he would do very, if he had made I'm it very to Half-Blood Prince. To see what would have, well, yeah. Or just what would have happened even in the next one? How, yeah. how does that change the tone of the film? Mm. Does he translate to that darker series? And, like, we'll never know. And, like, frankly, it's, like, we don't have to know. That's okay. Mm. Um, you know, but it, it, it is one of those that it's, like, he is great because this is a kid's movie. He is an excellent grandfather figure. 
Um, but I also think with Dumbledore's or when role, the tone is light and fluffy. Yeah, you know? I, I think that for the role that Dumbledore plays in this and the second one, which is much more of that wizened figure, you know, that guide. And then in the next few, that's when the cracks of Dumbledore start to show. Mm-hmm. You know, it's important that he's like well, this. Well, he starts treating the kids like adults too. Yeah, well, exactly. But it's like also, again, in these first two, it really helps kind of when you see Dumbledore in the first two, you really see him as Harry sees him, you know, initially where it's like this like ultimate greatest sorcerer of all time sort of thing. But then as he gets further into it, you're like, oh, that was dodgy Dumbledore. And then obviously you learn everything about it. You're just like, okay, he's not perfect. Um, Which is, I think, again, it's important. And so I I really like, he's really great for these two movies. I do agree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've always I've kind of always had the philosophy that I've I think I preferred Richard Harris's relationship with Harry yeah. but I could I physically as you said could not picture him in the duel in 5 yeah. or any of the stuff in 6 like I just I'm so glad that Gambon was the one who took over for mm. for those for those performances and I think that it's kind of like it was kind of the best case scenario like I think it's it's I mean, a, it's a sad. I, I didn't. I didn't want to say that out loud. But yeah, yes. I know. I'm okay. I'll be the guy. New guy can say it. <laughs> but it like it, I don't know. I'm with you too. I don't know if he would have translated to the later tones. Mm. And so he's perfect for the first two. Mm. And then you have somebody step in who's who plays him in a similar way, but you know, in a, I think in a, in, a, in a darker, more that that starts to expose the cracks more. Mm. I just feel like R- Richard Harris would never give you're a dodgy guy sometimes because he's just like such a lovable I don't man. think his voice would have even allowed for those. Like, yeah. You know? It's like, Oh, I love you. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, my last note is just, I love the set design for the chamber. Secrets. Oh. It might, it might be my favorite set of this whole franchise. It's very good. Uh, Gorgeous. I just think the set um, design for all of this, like I want to live, I want to be at Hogwarts. Like, how often did you think that as yeah, a kid? You're just like, I want to go yeah. to Hogwarts. I want to go to school in a castle. <laughs> that, that being said, um, though I love the set design for the Chamber of Secrets, everything that happens in the Chamber of Secrets itself just deflates the whole movie for me. Watching it again, like every decision they make is just like okay. Oh, you don't like the Deus Ex, Deus Ex Machina fox and Sorting Hat coming in? And I don't care game? about the Sorting Hat. The fox, the fox one bothered me. The Phoenix one bothers me uh, because it's like just kind of a throwaway thing. And again, Chekhov's never used Phoenix. again in the rest of the franchise. Chekhov's like, Phoenix. Right? Yeah, Chekhov's Phoenix. What do you mean right? never used like, again in the rest? I will bring your attention to Dumbledore's escape in Half Blood. Uh, no, in Order of the Phoenix. No, no, no. I mean, the Phoenix Tear is having healing powers. That's the oh. thing. Well, that's never really right. needed again because whenever somebody like dies, it's not really something that a tear can heal. Like it's kind of Sometimes. a bit more instant. <laughs> no one gets stabbed I'm... in future. I know. Right? It's just. It's, yeah, I know. It's but it's just like like that. That's a thing. Um, I I I don't think that having Tom use Ginny for the whole movie was like I don't know all that interesting or exciting or whatever. I, I like the I like the Tom Tom the Tom stuff the mm. you know the kind of the way his character is but um, yeah yeah uh, everything just starts to deflate a little bit for me uh, oh, as speak, speaking of which I, they technically recast Tom Riddle too yeah I was just thinking that that young mm-hmm. Tom Riddle was recast for number six but mm-hmm. you know it's not that yeah, big they kind of had to, but <laughs> yeah but well but but it's also two different points in the timeline so. Uh, yeah. His baby uh, face disappeared <laughs> between <Yeah>. the two. <laughs> uh, 
All right, Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, I'll start off first. I love this movie. I think it's excellent. Nash. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. Very nice. Alice. Love it. <laughs> Yay, we're all on the same page re- now. Re- ready for this, Alice? Yeah. This movie is perfect. Yeah. Except for the last 10 seconds. <laughs> what, you hate the them awful, flying around? The, the awful freeze frame of Harry's face. It's in the camera. In the middle of being, like, of joy. Like, it's, it's show, honestly, I've always seen it as, remember this, because this is the last time he's going to be that happy <laughs> for a long time. This is the last time he's going to have freedom to just be pure joy and exhilaration and happiness. Remember this moment, because then you get into Goblet of Fire, where the first thing that happens is somebody gets murdered. So, that's how I've always seen it. And I, I, I mean, like your interpretation. It doesn't excuse the fact that it looks <laughs> atrocious. You could I mean, have Harry fly by, and that would be cool, but the fact that you do the freeze frame with his face right up there, and you add a bunch of motion blur to it, like, ugh. <laughs> Okay, well, if that's the worst thing of the movie, I think that's... It's that's, perfect up until yeah. then. It's, yeah. well, it's near perfect. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. near perfect. Nash, do you say with me or Alex on this? How do yeah. we feel about the freeze frame and... <laughs> Oh, it's such a point of contention for me. It's it's interesting because I like I don't I think you never know. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's just like it's just like it happens, and I'm like, yep, there there it is. It's the end of the movie now. Yeah, roll credits. I don't know. I I didn't. I don't think twice about it. This is the first time I'm like, I guess it is a little weird, but whatever. It doesn't bother me. Uh, Quaron is the best director of this franchise, and it's a shame he didn't do any more films aside from this one. I disagree. Oh, I okay. think he came in we'll at the that. perfect time. I think it's excellent for the series that C- Columbus left. Also, because again, I don't know how he somehow managed to set up this series so excellently, and then did Percy Jackson in the worst possible way. Ugh, oh, yeah. that's, that's thoughts for another time. But then I think it's perfect because what it does, it starts to do. It's like, all right, we know Hogwarts now. We know the characters. We know the settings. Now we need to get to know these characters as you know, not just students and, and like, you know, character. We need to start evolving them. And you can tell because they finally get to dress, you know, in normal clothes and they finally get to actually just act and be and make mistakes and, and have a mo- more emotion, much more emotion and, and like complex emotion. Like that whole part where, you know, Harry is like crying on the rock and, and Hermione, you know, that, that said, like, he betrayed him. He was their friend. It's like that heartbreak. Um, the whole twist around Sirius Black, the twist upon the twist upon the twist is just mm-hmm. the way it's done and the way it's framed. Like I, yeah, I love, love this movie and it often switches between my favorite of the entire franchise, as I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about later, because mm-hmm. everything that happens in it and the way it's done. And again, this is really when they started to diverge a bit from just adapting every single thing that was on the page of the book to kind of just allowing these other moments to bring it together into a more holistic story overall. Um, and also, it's the you know only one without Voldemort mm-hmm. at all, which is really interesting. There's a yeah, there's a Voldemort-centric plot still. It, but uh, yes, I mean, there it, is it, no obviously I, but he's not. I in was it. actually going to. Well, I was actually going to touch on that a little bit, uh, and what I meant to say, I I love what I, cause, cause I love that he's not in this movie because mm-hmm. I love that he's like they. I feel like they really did well that he's this overarching villain, and that the 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 fear is kind of built up, built up, mm-hmm. built up, ramped up. Like the fact that he 
isn't a present in this presence in this movie yet. I feel like he's also the scariest he's ever been. Yeah. Um, because now we're mm-hmm. seeing, now we see a, this deranged. Well, yeah. you think that Sirius black is the deranged follower. And then you find out it's Peter Pettigrew. And it's like that you, you just start to like see the world that Voldemort operates in. And it become it, for me, it became like, oh, okay, this guy is getting scary and scary. And I haven't, haven't really even seen his face and yet. And how he twists people. You start to learn mm-hmm. his ability. It's not just his power, always oh, a strong wizard. He can cast pretty strong sp- spells. It's like he can twist people and completely change. Like Peter Pettigrew was a core part of the good guys. He was in Gryffindor, for God's sake. And he ends up being one of the most despicable characters of the entire series who doesn't get redeemed in the books until the very, 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 very last thing he does. And then he doesn't at all in the movies, you know, and that's totally fine. Does he get redeemed in the movies? In the Mm, very, no, he doesn't. And honestly, it doesn't matter. Like, it's not that important because at the end of the day, what he does, it shapes him enough and the way he's kind of portrayed as this like sniveling little rat. But it's like, oh my goodness, you know? And then it's- seeing what he did to Sirius by extension of being related to Voldemort, but Sirius didn't even, like, he just felt all that, but he did, wasn't even part of all of that. It's just like, oh my goodness, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Nash, I cut you off as you were starting. No, 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 absolutely. I, I, I think we're, to- we're, all, we're totally on yeah. sync in this one. I think it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's well, great. I mean, look- except for I said that Koran is the best director, but look, it, and and we'll get there because Half Blood Prince was nominated for cinematography, and that movie's also gorgeous. But this one's this one's probably my personal favorite. Um, my one of my only other um, my only other complaint is that it just seems when you know the full story, some of the attitudes that happen early on, specifically between the Sirius and Lupin characters, just don't quite add up a little bit. Um, what do you not mean? To really care about. So like, I mean, there's no. So specifically when they meet together under the Whomping Willow, there's no reason they can't just like let Harry in. Like they still think that they're trying to kill Harry, not Peter. Like, no, they don't. Wait, hold on. Meet under the Whomping Willow? No, they meet in, in the shack? shack, yeah. Which is... That's under the Whomping Willow. It's not, un- it? it's not under, no. Oh, sorry. That's, yeah. Okay, yeah, that, the entrance was, but yeah, it's yeah. like a yeah. tunnel. Sorry. Okay. No, like they, they know, Sirius and Lupin know that, they, that Peter Pettigrew is the rat. Yeah. No. Well, well, yes, they know that, but Lupin, Lupin does believe that Sirius is bad and that Peter Pettigrew died until mm. he realizes that when Harry has the map and he's like, I saw Peter, I Pettigrew. Saw Peter Pettigrew and he was like, that's not possible. Yeah. Like he, be- he has believed the that whole time. That, never lies. Yeah. 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 He, he has believed that whole time that Sirius was the guy bad. who betrayed. Yeah. So mm. that's the reason why it's, it's a confrontation at first. And then you, it, you know, then he realized I was under the assumption because Lupin says he believed differently until he saw the map. Until Harry Pettigrew. saw until, the map. Until yeah. Harry saw Peter Pettigrew and then he told Lupin. I assumed that he had filled Black in beforehand because they kind of reunite like old friends. No, because Sirius Black always knew that it was Peter Pettigrew because he knew he didn't <laughs> kill. He didn't give in to Voldemort and he would have figured it out. And also he would have known that Peter Pettigrew died. Like he knew right. everything, but he was stuck in Azkaban that whole time. While Lupin would have had to, like, he would have been like, well, if Peter Pettigrew... And also this whole time they, like, Peter Pettigrew being a rat was known to them because they were all animaguses, you know, all in some way, shape, or form. Like, I mean, Lupin's a 
werewolf that's not an animagus but like you know peter pettigrew his nickname is wormtail because he Mm -hmm. could transform into a rat so it wouldn't have been difficult for lupin to kind of figure that out once he realized like okay peter pettigrew is on the map he's alive and then you know when he confronts sirius at first it's imagine the emotion of you've thought this whole time that one of your best friends in the entire world was a horrific murderer yeah, who murdered your other best friends in the entire world. And then it turns out that he's actually been rotting in the worst prison of all time for 12 years and your other best friend framed him. Like, imagine, plus, while you're dealing with all of this, you're also a werewolf, (laughs) which is a debilitating condition in both mental and emotional and physical state. So it's like, that's where all of that comes from, for sure. Okay, fine. I misunderstood then. Um, look, look Good the way that the, the way no the way that the movie presents itself. My thought, my, the way that it tracked in my head, and I've seen this movie probably a dozen times now, is that Lupin and Black are always together. They're always of one mind, except when Harry sees it on the map. That's when they. That's when Lupin changes mind and then commits it. So. It's just somewhere along the line, either I made an assumption or the movie isn't clear enough. Pro- maybe maybe a little bit com- of both. a bit confused because there's the bit where Snape comes in and he's like, look at you and like uh, arguing like a married couple like you always, you know, like doing that, that sort of when he comes in and he's basically calling I- them a married couple and that they're always together. And then Sirius is like, why don't you go play with your chemistry set? You know, like <laughs> that, I guess, but it's like, he's let's, talking let's, about high school. He's point. talking about high school then, mm-hmm. not. Because he was bullied. And we don't know that yet. At the time, you're just like, okay. But then you learn in the later movies, it's like, oh, they were friends in high school. And then in the movie itself. But if we want to move on, I fully understand, Aaron. You're like, no, no, no. We could just, well, we're on a t- whatever. It's fine. We're not going to reach common ground here. That's okay. It's probably just, I'm stupid. And I don't know. I don't, I, I haven't seen these movies 40 times. So I don't know every little intricacy about yeah. them. Whatever. It's okay. Absolutely. Um, and I have, so I do, and so I also fully understand that. And guess from- what? This is one of the ones that I would be okay watching yeah. 40 times. So, uh, Gary Oldman is the best actor to ever be in this franchise, in specifically in this role. He's so stinking good. Come on. Come on. Um, Alan Rickman? Hello. <laughs> I'm still taking this. I'm still taking this. No way. He's not the best, but he's very good. The mo- <laughs> the- Nash is like, I'm just out of this. Yeah, no, I'm backing off on this one. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, no, he's he's so stinking good, specifically because he plays those like crazy, has to get those shots for the for the newspaper, but then he has that like, yo, know, where, where Lupin tells him to wait. He's like, I've done my waiting, twelve years of it. Like no, he's so stinking good. Oh, he, and I, just, that, you're not getting arguments from man. me. He is fantastic in this film. Like Gary Oldman as Sirius Black. Like Alan, Alan Rickman is a close second, right? But if 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 Gary Oldman would have had as much screen time as Snape does, oh, I mean, yeah. If you want yeah. to look at like this film, like this specific film, but, then I well, would say probably he's the better best actor within this. Specific I'm saying film. this is the best actor. This is the best performance for a movie in all of the movies. If you have to say Snape in Half Blood Prince, like that's it. Like you can't say Snape in all seven, mo- eight movies, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's yeah. I'd have to think and about like, it more. I'll, I'll I will further more. I will further my point in Order of the Phoenix. Um, but then the right, Dementors, so just, though, can we talk about those? Because again, you want to talk about nightmare fuel as a child? <laughs> like the that is horrific. The idea of them, the way they're presented, again, practical effects like that hand. It's just oh, 
Mm-hmm. It is this the special effects in this movie are excellent. From the night bus to the Dementors to Aunt Marge floating away. Like uh and then even the werewolf like that werewolf transformation has I've never seen That's a werewolf good. transformation yeah. and thought that looks so painful, especially the bit where it focuses on his feet as they become mm-hmm. the oh, oh, oh. my my Achilles heel feels it every single time. And it's not as bad as the spiders in Chamber of Secrets, but <laughs> yeah. What were you, um, you going to say something, Nash, about the? Oh, I was just going to say. Oh, and to add to your point, you were listing yeah. everything, and Buckbeak also looks incredible. Mm. Like, uh, like a totally fabricated, like weird-looking creature looks. I want to pet it and ride it. I want to ride so it fun. so bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Excellent use of time travel and sticking to its laws in the film. Yeah, um, and happy, they did it happy first. We had it. They did really it before Hans he- Zimmer, where they had a ticking clock the whole time during the time travel moments, and you didn't notice un- unless you go back and watch it over and over, and you're like, what is that? They did it before Dunkirk. <laughs> okay, then. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't know that. But, yeah. like, we we put it on the best ever ch- time travel movies we did recently, mm-hmm. very high up, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was in terms of just rules for time travel, it may may be like second overall, like in terms of time travel making sense mm. um, and sticking to its own rules because it's really hard to be twelve monkeys. But um, you know, excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, but but also that kind of brings up the point where I'm talking about like the series really just only uses things when it's convenient to them because like that was a J.K. Rowling problem though. That's yeah, I mean, like she fine. it did like. She came like, out and didn't she even say at one point, like the reason why there's well, this is all in the books and I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't say this, but she destroys all the time, time turners yeah. in the fifth book because she realized that was like, oh man, this is, I probably should use these more. <laughs> I shouldn't have introduced them. So I think there's a couple instances and I was thinking of another one earlier that I forgot right now, but um, that's like the biggest version of oh, Felix. Well, guess what? She used them yes. anyway. And yeah. if you want to do that, how about a small scene or smaller yeah. line at the end of the third movie that said the stakes were too high. We can't have time turners anymore. Bye. Like, well, it presents it as like this super rare, like not many people have them. And then Hermione's not going to be the one to be like, oh, well, let's fix this. I, I think in this well, case, but at least there's one which at Hogwarts, which means at least they could use one. I don't know. Let's say next year when a student <laughs> dies and a dark Lord is risen from the grave, you know, but then there's also the trouble of like, you can't see yourself. So it's like, how, how's Harry meant to be like, don't do that. Because you get driven insane. If you see yourself Go in to the Dumbledore, past. tell him what's going to happen <laughs> and have Dumbledore do whatever he can to make sure Harry doesn't participate in the maze. Mm-hmm. We're already in Goblet of Fire. Let's do it. I think this movie is on the very low side of just okay. I've never liked this movie. Nash, where you sit? I'm a defender of this movie. Um, okay. I I don't. I've always a lot of people, and this is and this is where I've like tried to separate like the books from the movies a lot because a lot of people are like, oh, it sucks because the fourth book is most mm. people's favorite book, and it does cut out massive chunks of stuff that like that would have been maybe interesting to see. And I remember there was discussion about it potentially being turned into two movies. Like, and I would have been an ardent supporter of that, but for what, for the movie that we got, I really, I really like a lot of it. I don't, I I mean, it has always bothered me starting at the Weasleys, him starting at the Weasleys. I don't love Mm -hmm. that. I don't love the buildup of of, uh, the Quidditch world cup. Like, yeah, there's, there's elements (laughs) of that, but the actual tournament I think is pretty exceptional. Um, and then, I mean, we'll probably, 
Yeah, and we'll touch on this later, but the graveyard sequence is, I think, fantastic. All the way coming back to, sure. I'm and I'm going to say this now because I'll just because I'll forget about it. But like um, them when they first get back to the arena and aim, like Amos Diggory sees Cedric is one of the like gut wrenching, like most gut wrenching moments in films that I've ever seen. Like that, his angle. Oh my god, that's I, my son. I that's agree my and disagree. Yeah. I it's oh, I, I so like, agree with you, Nash. You it's, don't understand. It, is, it is an incredible, incredible performance. It is um, just yeah. it the really shows like what does great. death mean? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like this is sure, we only knew Cedric for what, like 20, 30, like 30 that's minutes my of freaking problem. But that's not <laughs> the, the point. But that's not the point. The yeah. point is not, oh, it's an important <laughs> the movie character. Makes me want to care that this kid died, and I don't even know this kid. But that doesn't I, matter. He's uh, still dead. It does matter. It because it's okay, a turning well, can point I also jump in with one. my opinion? I really yeah, like yes, this yes, film. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Before yeah, we yeah, get into fine. it, I really, really I'm like this film. And I actually, fun fact, for the longest time this was my least favorite but as i've aged it's actually seriously risen the ranks in my opinion this is a film that i think as a kid i didn't quite understand the brilliant elements as much as i do now and i grew with this i as i grew up it became Mm. so much so i really really like this film um and i think that graveyard scene and Cedric die like that to me is I mean it's even the movie the way he dies it's literally like kill the spare he was the spare right but then he comes back and you see Amos Diggory just being like that's my boy and then you have Harry be like like just pure trauma pure like Daniel Radcliffe huh I've always heard kill the spaz. Oh. I've never heard kill the spare. No, it's oh my killed, god. Kill the spare. Yeah, and you're just like, okay. and then it's just pure trauma on Harry when he comes back and he doesn't want to like get off of Cedric and and you know, he's just like, he's back. Voldemort's back. It's like I couldn't leave him, not there. And you're just like, this kid's 14 years old. Like, mm-hmm. you have to remember that. And he gets immediately pulled into yet another traumatic event afterwards. This kid is this kid is 14 year old, but but for three consecutive years has done with life-threatening <laughs> trauma he's much more mature than a 14 year old yeah but this but is the this first is a, time he's seen someone die yeah. yeah exactly like obviously yes he saw his mum die when he was a baby but like nobody remembers anything from when they were a baby like he saw some someone who he was like kind of friends with who he definitely looked up to as, and you know as a student and all i'm saying He's dead. Is that Gone. there's no reason there couldn't have been Cedric at least kind of around or referenced to for the first three movies. Because the... All right, so I'm, how many books were out when the first movie came out? Like five. three? Five was five, oh, oh, five oh, 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 you said no, first movie. I'm sorry, I misheard movie, you. Yeah. I, said, I think it was three. Four. Three. Yeah. All right, so the Goblet of Fire book comes out in uh, 2000. Okay, so four. So this book was known to the filmmakers of the first three movies, but and they that one didn't person know they were going to get here in like that. Oh my time. god! They Cedric, and Cedric knew. isn't in the first three. Yeah, I think Cedric almost at all. Yeah, he's not in him. He doesn't you come. Can, you can insert him. That's what but I'm you saying. Don't you need have to, freedom. Aaron. You want to no. spend? You, you, you yourself said that the movies are too long, and you want to now also shove a character in just so that you'll care more when Goblet of I Fire would, happens. I would much rather have any sort of character building for Cedric Diggory than any of the Harry and Ron but fighting you don't or need any of the awful love triangle crap. But you don't I need character agree. building. Yeah. 
If you, you want need me character to care that Cedric dies, then you need me to care about Cedric. But you don't. It's not Cedric about is a nobody. But that's the point, Aaron. You're not meant to care that Cedric dies. You're meant to care no, that you someone are. I definitely has am. died. You have to care that someone yes. has died. Because then in the next book, in the next, or in the next movie, that's when someone you care about dies. But in this one, this is more like, oh my God, people that are in the present can die. That's what this death is meant to represent. It's got nothing to do with, you know, oh, this is someone who, this is Hermione has died. You know, this is just meant to introduce the idea that people can and will die. And again, introduce the idea that just because a character is small, just, just like in real life, just like in real life, people die, you read about them, you hear about them, you don't care. But at the end of the day, they mattered. They mattered to people. They mattered to other people other people they mattered to somebody but not to me (laughs) yeah but that's the point is that it's like literally at the end Dumbledore is like he was kind he was a fierce fierce friend you know he had people that loved him and even on other periphery you are wrong (laughs) yeah look you can be okay with your interpretation but if if death isn't a real factor of the first three movies then the first three movies are terrible and death is very much a factor of the first three movies. It's a factor, you know, but it's it, not present. It's like, oh, somebody died, like, what, 11 years ago? You know what I mean? Like, or 10 years ago. Well, but Voldemort attempts to kill Harry when he goes through attempts. the... He attempts, sure. But every movie has people attempt to kill people, but it's like the stakes don't feel real. This is finally when, like, oh, oh, no, death is, like, it will happen. The stakes would have felt real if I had given a damn about who died. Then they would have felt real. I just, just heartless. I, yeah, I could not disagree any with like wow, that's so it's so interesting that perspective. Because mm-hmm. I like it doesn't I, I don't feel like it has to do with I, I'm so with Alice, like I just I don't feel like it necessarily has to do with Cedric. It's setting up Harry's relationship with death, Harry's relationship with Voldemort, just the just the oh, I'm just Voldemort just says, Oh, just kill anybody. I don't care. Like we don't need to know that Cedric is like his best friend is, or something. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't that doesn't matter. We just he just I don't know. I'm so In fact, it's almost more like there's also more interesting elements of the fact that you, all you know about Cedric is that A, he's Harry's rival. B, he's got, in both romance and in the tournament. He's with Harry's crush. You know, like if for all intents and purposes, from a teenage point of view, he should be happy he's out of the way because now he can get with Cho Chang and he's the winner of the the Triwizard Tournament. Both things that, by all intents and purposes, Cedric should have gotten. He should have won. He had the he was the more better looking one. He was the older one. He had everything, and he's still. And they even say, like Mad Eye Moody said, you know, when Cedric was your age, you could turn a whistle into a watch and have it sing you the time. He's smarter. He's better. He's a better version of Harry, and he still died, and Harry didn't. And that is the illogical nature of death and of murder and of Voldemort. And that is why he's so scary. And that is why. <laughs> Let's talk about Voldemort now. Now's a good time at any. Okay. What the hell even is this guy? Like... What do you mean? <laughs> Why the hell am I supposed to be scared of this guy? Oh my god. <laughs> this is the one thing that Aaron. I cannot get over for this franchise, for this this Are you kidding? Voldemort What have Voldemort I just ranted about? Reputa- Voldemort is scary by reputation and nothing else. He's just one freaking guy. Which is what a terrifying that? reason to be scared of somebody. What hey, is Aaron, Aaron, the idea of a man is scarier. Aaron, like, why is Hitler scary? Why is Hitler scary? Why was Hitler? Yeah, why were the Nazis tried to scary? Exterminate an entire race of people. I have no idea what Voldemort wants to do when he kills Harry. Oh my god! 
He wants to exterminate all mudbloods and all people that aren't pure. He's literally the Hitler of the Wizarding hold on, World. Hold on, hold on, hold on. When is that said? He hates in number two. Like in number. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. He says that young Tom Riddle says that because he wants to fulfill Salazar S Slytherin's ideology of nobody except for purebloods should exist. But it gets explored he further said in on in that same movie. That he has moved on and he has a new endgame. And we have no idea what but that you is. Just said, no, no, no. You just said what happens when Harry's dead. He gets back to his original plan. His plan now is like, maybe, this, kid's been, maybe like not. this kid's been screwing me up for a while. I'm going to get rid of him. And then I can get back to creating my perfect society that only gets explored further in the further movies as we learn more about how like mudbloods and, and people, like even halfbloods and goblins and anyone that is not the perfect representation of a wizard even though, and again, it's the freaking hypocrisy of it all because Tom Riddle came from a muggle. Like he came, his dad is a muggle, which again is not explored. But the point is like the idea that people are willing to do these horrific, horrific acts for this person who by all intents and purposes has failed so far in everything we've seen him do until now where he actually kills someone and people are willing to literally bring him back to cut off their own hand to still serve him long after he's been dead for 10 years and then raise an entire army just to take down one boy. That's what's so scary about him. People are willing to, they are willing to tattoo themselves with this and completely ostracize themselves from society because they believe in him and his ideology, which is horrific. That is, that is why Hitler was scary. Hitler was just a guy. He was just a dude. He was just a dude. He wanted to be a painter and failed. And so he decided to create genocide. And so was Voldemort. That's why he's scary. <laughs> Look, I didn't think we'd be talking about Fantastic Beasts 2 yet, but <laughs> at least Fantastic Beasts 2 gives me a villain where I can understand what their end game is. I never, ever, ever got that in Harry Potter. One through eight. I still don't. One through eight? I, I, I see. I see how... What you are saying is an interpretation. No, it's the interpretation. It's not an interpretation. It's somebody that read the book. No, no, no. Because when you've seen Deathly Hallows Part 1, you start to see Voldemort's perfect society be... I mean, for, for God's sake, at the beginning of Part 1, you, he kills the Muggle Studies teacher teacher because he's like he wants she wants us to mate with them Ugh. like he you know that's what it is he wants to eradicate anyone that is and he wants to be in power he wants to be in charge of everything and he wants it all to be part of his master plan of the perfect pure pure bloods only like that's his whole shtick pure bloods only and then but for somebody that lost for somebody that never found their nose after somebody did that <laughs> i got your nose thing it's hard to take him seriously <laughs> Well, that's just the snake thing. <laughs> <laughs> I had to lighten the mood. Somehow. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, we're just gonna have to disagree on this. Okay. Like, it's uh, look as somebody that read the books, as somebody who's seen the movie forty times, all of the movies forty times, whatever. That's fine. I'm saying I should be able to clearly understand what my villains' motives are and what they intend to do and what their end game is, especially over eight movies. Nash, do you have an? And opinion? I don't. <laughs> I, He's with you. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm so solidly in in your camp here. I. I. It's. I. I'm trying to see the other side of somebody who is potentially like maybe not read the books and is watching these. But I still think going back to what I said before, I think the. I think the his villainy is 
is sprinkled in throughout. His motivations are sprinkled in throughout. There's not an expositional monologue of what he's going to do to the world, maybe in, in the second movie. I, I just think that I, I, it's inherent. Like you kind of, you begin to understand it. Then as time goes on, you understand it more and you see it actually developing. Like we, we, we've got, I thought, I thought on this watch that I finally understood it because I actually listened to the, the Salazar Slytherin stuff in the Chamber of Secrets. Like, because, I, <laughs> because that, that, because there was, because I finally heard and understood what was happening when they said in that, in that classroom, when they asked what the Chamber, what the Chamber of Secrets is, when they finally explained, that's what Voldemort wanted to do, is he wanted to fulfill Salazar Slytherin's plan of exterminating anybody that's not a pureblood. It's like, great, now we can move forward with that. But he says in that movie later, I don't care about Salazar Slytherin's plan anymore. But that's the point, is that that's his plan, but he has been so blinded by his hatred of this boy. And that is that is also, like, throughout the whole series, like, people are like, why do you keep focusing on him? Can we not just, like, can we not just go and just ignore it? Like, he's just, and he's like, no, I'm going to kill. Like, if he had just let anyone else kill Harry, if he had just, like, ignored him, he would have succeeded. But his obsessive nature of this boy this this boy whose parents he killed is ultimately what caused him to unravel and his doom like and that's the point is that that's always been his plan but he set it aside and that's why he failed because at the end of the day it's not enough of a motivation to just want to get rid of a kid because he keeps annoying the crap out of you you know essentially or like by killing you and like defeating you if he had just raised his army and like done all, and then just had anyone else kill him literally he did not need to be the one to kill him he would have succeeded but he didn't because he got obsessive and ultimately that is what's going to crumble someone so yeah Alice, i really hope we could still be friends after <laughs> this episode <laughs> No, of course we can. You, you're just extremely uh, wrong. <laughs> well, and again, I'm I'm from the perspective of somebody that's seen no, especially no, from here on out say, all of these movies. I'm gonna say only I once know or plenty twice. of people who have only seen the movies and they still somehow understand it. So none of this. Oh, you've read the books and seen them a bajillion times. <laughs> I know people who are in the same position and they do not have this issue. I've never heard that from them. So Order of the Phoenix. Yes, let's move on. <laughs> Uh, I love this movie. Yeah. Love, love, love. Me too. I do too. Yeah. yeah. I, I have often, like, I I think I can objectively say that um, Prisoner of Azkaban is the best movie, mm. probably. But Order of the Phoenix is my favorite. Um, mm. And it's actually funny because the book is my least favorite. Um, well, you want and... to talk about the book, like, having tons of stuff cut out. This is the longest book in the shortest movie. <laughs> Yeah, And it's because they cut out, I remember when I read the book and they cut out Quidditch and it was such a huge part of the book and they just cut it out. And honestly, like it, it really doesn't matter in the scheme of things. Like it makes yeah. the movie better. Yeah. Well, it's just, there's here, other right, things here, you'd rather focus on like Umbridge, you know? And also here I will, are my first, yeah, you know, please, please go right, here, here are my first two notes. Um, this movie is so stinking good uh, because it finally makes me feel like characters not named Harry Potter are actually important. Um, and this film also is a is super refreshing. Oh, Alice is withholding something right now. Um, this film is super refreshing because for most of the movie, for most of the movie, 
the stakes aren't game changing. They're finding umbrage for the for the most part of this movie. It's refreshing to take a step back, kind of like Prisoner Azkaban did, to take a step back and not just be Voldemort. You know, like this movie takes a, a, a step back. And sure, like umbrage is is in many ways doing the work of Voldemort. But it's like for for much of the first half of that movie, while they're trying to figure out like whatever comes next, and they're trying to figure out how they can convince people that Voldemort is actually alive, they're just like. They're they're getting they're fighting with the politics of the school system and they're and they're 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 focusing on Harry becoming the leader that he needs to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that point about it finally feels like characters not named Harry Potter actually are important to this movie. Sure, Hermione has done a lot of book book stuff in the past too, but this is the first time Ron's a freaking useful character, uh, other than Wizard Chess. Sorry, other than Wizard Chess. This you, know, you get the introduction of Luna, which you know, she's not imp- she doesn't have a important enough role for me to get mad about her not being introduced earlier. But you get Neville taking a step up as well. You get even Seamus is starting to take a step up as well. This is where Harry Potter is not Harry Potter anymore, but it's it's good versus evil. Mm-hmm. Let's hear it. Come on. Nash, you please go ahead. I think I, I spent way too much time talking on the last one. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, um, I mean, I it's. I agree with absolutely everything you're saying, except for the except for your primary point of this is the first time any everybody anybody else has mattered. Um, mm. But yeah, absolutely. I, I think mm. it's a. I think when you when you said when you asked that question, is Alfonso Cuarón the best director? When I when I said I disagreed, it's because I think David Yates is. I think mm. David Yates's vision of that I think was started and continued a little bit with Mike Newell and Cuarón. I think David Yates's vision is the best vision. I think it's well. It's why he stays on. Yeah, it's fa- it's yeah. fantastic. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I Umbridge is brilliant as a, mm-hmm. as the as the kind of like mm-hmm. I, I guess she is kind of the as like she's presented as the is the primary antagonist in the movie, but she's representing a system that yep. is kind of assisting mm. Voldemort. You know, I I don't know. I just it's always been fantastic, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the end of this movie again. Sorry, I was the one who got us on that last tangent. <laughs> the The wizard fight mm. between Voldemort and Dumbledore for me is the best a magic fight has ever looked. It is so, yes. and yeah. pardon my language, just purely badass. Like it looks so cool, and and it's a it's the first time you truly see like, oh, these are the two best to ever do it, and they're fighting each other, and it looks, and they're doing they're doing stuff that you could never like these kids like these other people could never dream of doing mm-hmm. i just think it's so perfectly realized from the moment that the auras show up and save the in and save oh, the kids it's so cool yeah it's, it's so it's, cool it's such like a mic drop like yeah okay here we here we are i don't know it just it thrills me and yeah and going back i love the teamwork aspect of this movie i love yeah. the, the um, I love getting the different elements from Neville and the and and, and Luna. I love Luna. Luna's great, perfectly mm. cast. Um, I don't know. I it's I, I think it's fantastic. I uh, like if you got rid of the romance part of it, I think it would be perfect for me. So 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the one part that doesn't quite work. The, but I think again, very, neither yeah. does romance yeah. when you're 15. <laughs> like it's, I will say, sure, it has one right. of the most awkward kissing scenes in cinema. I detest the yeah. kissing scene. Like, why don't they touch their faces? They're just like standing there with their hands behind the side of their bodies, just like kissing like this. And I'm just like, that must have been weird. But I will oh. also say, I think it's got one of the best performances from Daniel Radcliffe. I was in, this in that. Movie. I was, I was going to touch on that. The reason why I never liked the book that much was because I felt like he was written as like an emo kid <laughs> for like the first half. And I hate him. He's so awful to his friends in the book. It's just, I, I never believed, I understood what he experienced, mm. but the movie depicted that trauma so well that mm-hmm. he just watched somebody die. And now he's like, Oh my God. Like he's cut off from the world. Dumbledore is isolating him. And he, he's so, his performance in that movie might be that might be his best be just it's because he's oh my god i just i i just see so much reality in terms of what he's going through and i've seen people experience that in like i i just think it's perfectly realized and um i don't know and i I, mean the the presence of the thestrals just shows like yeah sure death's been part of harry's life this whole time like technically he saw his mom die but he didn't see the thestrals until now because it, like, when you're a baby, you're not taking that stuff in. But this time, an understanding of death, and understanding yeah. it, yeah, you're just a kid and you're just watching flashes, you know. But like, when you're, it's when he saw someone die. Now he sees the Thestrals. Now he's got the complex emotions, and he's an adolescent. But what I want to really touch on is, in terms of his performance, just Sirius's death scene is mm-hmm. one of the most impactful death scenes I've ever seen. And, you know, I don't, I'm don't. i sure you guys read trivia or whatever, but in case, um, also for li- listeners or something, if you don't know. So that scene, when he sees Sirius die, when Harry sees Sirius die and he just screams and the sound goes away, the reason there's no sound in that scene is because Daniel Radcliffe's scream was so agonising David Yates thought it would be too much. It was like too much. He was like, it was way too much for someone to watch in this movie. So they had to remove the sound because you can still like vaguely hear it and you just feel and see the pain of like, this guy finally has some family, some real family. He has that relationship that he's been craving. And it's like, it's all well and good. Yes, he has the Weasleys. Yes, he has Ron. Yes, he has Hermione. But this is like someone he could have lived with, someone he saw as of like a guardian and he gets ripped away from him. And especially like in the moment right before it, there's that bit where Sirius is like, nice one, James, when he's fighting with, with um, Harry against Lucius and the other death eater. And it's like, you can tell that Sirius is still like not quite of a right mind. And then this happens and it's like immediately like, boom. Oh my God, he gets saved. Oh, there's something quite off. Oh my gosh. Now he's dead. And it also really introduces Bellatrix as this like, like murderous witch (laughs) like i won't say the other name that molly weasley calls her later on but and then just to see at the end when he gets possessed by voldemort and you see like the the acting the way he performs that piece and you see the internal struggle and the like you've lost old man and you're just like oh it's so powerful that whole ending bit is just like i could watch just that bit over and over again so yeah, so this is uh, this is one that I frequently go back and forth. See, there's a prisoner Azkaban is my favorite, um, depending on which day you ask me. Um, but it, it, this is what I want to use to back up and reinforce my point that Gary Oldman is the best actor uh, because he has such little screen time from the time we find out he's actually good. But he means so much 
when he dies. Mm-hmm. We don't get hardly any time with him, but it's an effective use of that time. That it's conversation that they have, as I have gotten older, will sometimes like when he's in his home at Christmas, mm-hmm. will like will almost bring me to tears. Where he's like, people, there, people aren't good and bad. Like you know, it was just oh god, sorry. Gary Oldman is incredible <laughs> in this movie. Right. No, it's it just really goes to show. That's why I was just finalizing my point. Like he's yeah. from Prisoner of Azkaban. Like all this arc just really comes across to just yeah, he's he's so incredible. Um, yeah. Um And also can we I'm I'm sure we'll get onto it more, but Ray finds what a casting. Like he is fan fantastic as Voldemort. I mean, who doesn't, whenever they have anything remotely stick-shaped, we're like, with a wand. (laughs) It's like so performative. It's so great. That's like a TikTok trend now where people are just (laughs) overly doing all of Voldemort's stuff. Like, especially the, 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 the line that he says when he killed Harry in the Forbidden Forest. The boy who lived come to die. Yeah. Um, But people are doing like way dramatic stuff for that. Like it's, it's hilarious to see. Um, any other notes on Order of the Phoenix? Like, we gotta oh, get moving. Umbridge is so, like, she's so perfectly awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. and like, again, what, like, this this movie has some of the best moments to me, too, because that, like, sorry, Professor, I must not tell a lie. Is, oh, like, one of the best ooh, moments. What a in mic this drop. Franchise. You just want to be like, right. yes. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Half Blood Prince, mm-hmm. um, I really like this movie. I, I like it. Mm-hmm. I really like it. Nice. Um, it's it's hard for me to say I love this movie because I don't I don't anything having to do with the with the Ron Hermione lavender stuff is just like, <laughs> and then anything having to do with the like the big dinner parties. I love um, those you know, bits. They're no, so I, I like I like the interactions between Harry and the professor on a one on one basis. I I'm not invested when it's the um, when it's the dinner parties. Um, which is fine or whatever. Like it leads to this incredible, uh, incredible climax. It takes Draco to a place that is finally like Draco is becoming an actual threat as opposed to just a pest. Um, and I think I would be love in loved at camp for this movie, but the love triangle stuff would probably still keep me down. Um, there's all right. There's two things. The first is that, um, where hold on. I gotta remember the first one because it led into the second. Oh, <laughs> The ultimately Snape being the half blood prince doesn't necessarily mean anything. That's a like, that's a they didn't really like you need the, to know the book um, because so, his uh, uh, maiden my wife name, the books yeah his maiden his mum's maiden so is his prince. maiden name his mum's maiden prince, name is prince yeah so he's the half and he himself prince. is a half blood yeah and so he calls himself the half blood prince but it's like doesn't necessarily mean anything that that's Snape's old textbook like it's fine it's just it feels like half blood prince should mean something more. I don't know, I, but I guess like it is a way to say this is Snape's movie without saying this is Snape's movie. So I don't know. Maybe I'm walking back. On. Um, this would be a top ten ending of all time if they would just end the movie with the school morning Dumbledore. You have that tacked on last scene where they open up the locket to get the the note from Regulus Black, but it's like it's it's just tacked on at the end. Oh, like, see, I love it. I, I'm, I'm a sucker for that ending. <laughs> I mean, it leads a, into I'm, the last book, like the I last know, story. I know, you know? and it. And, and and you can't just explain away how they don't open the locket for so long unless it's like they couldn't open the locket and then all of a sudden they find out like, oh, it can be opened, you know, kind of like with, with later with Harry and the Quidditch ball and, oh, it has to go in my mouth. To, but it's like, no, you it, can. It's setting up, you- it's setting up for the last film, but it was just like, 
You can- it just felt like you had the perfect ending with everybody raising their wand and shooting light into the sky. Like, that's your ending. No, I think it's important because it, it like, is the reason why they're not going to go back. Like, they're not going back to school. I think it's important to show, to cement for the audience that this is the last time we're going to see them as students, you know? And so you need that so that you go into the next one knowing that you're not going to see them go to class and, you know, him with the Dursleys. This is it. This is like the most, the normal structure that we've seen across six films is gone now. And the next film's going to be completely different on, in that way of things. And I, I understand the whole not. I don't think you need it though. But I understand not wanting to open it because it's like he got this locket and it killed Dumbledore. And, you know, there's this happens all the time. I mean, I also like, don't understand that element because he does open it relatively quickly. Like, obviously, yeah. you can't open it right away because. Dumbledore appears to be dying on that island and then he's dying and they have yeah. to escape. They get back to the, the tower. Dumbledore dies. Like, but then when he they're up the there, next he has, our, yeah. he has, he has it. already read it. Yeah. Mm, so yeah. I mean, he opens it. He opens it. It's alluded to very quickly. Mm. Now, I mean, I get the argument of like, time is not on their side. They know how to defeat Voldemort. You got to do it quickly. Like you got to do it as fast as you can. Cause you know, it's a lengthy process. Cause seven horcruxes, they have six or they think six, whatever. No, they think, yeah. Is it, they think seven, but there's eight or they think six, but there's seven. Anyway, there's a few. They think there's six, but there's yeah. seven. Cause we, me and my wife were trying to keep on counting. We could never miss one. Yeah. But, um, so they think there's six, but since Harry's the seventh. Um, so with, um, they don't even know what uh, there's the ring and the, and the book, but they don't know what the rest of them are. So like, they've got a lot of work to do. So like, it makes sense to me that he would open up the locket quick. It, takes away from that emotional you could have opened up the seventh one with i finally am ready to open this locket i'm finally ready to do stuff you know you could have opened it that way and to your point alice i think sure it gets it gives you a sense of all right we're not doing things this way anymore um you know you can certainly do that but at the same time like it's just not you don't need that scene to know that things are going to be different next. Like Dumbledore is freaking dead. Like but it's <laughs> like Snape they're even it. in uniform. Like we haven't, they don't really hang out in uniform all that much anymore in the, in the movies from number three right. onwards. But in this right. bit, they're in uniform and you know, they've got the locket and it's like, and then you see Phoenix. I actually really love how it ends with forks flying away. Like it's just such a beautiful moment of like, He's actually like. You could have Fox flying away as they're all lighting up the sky. No, because that's more of a hope. It's almost hopeful with the way for, but with the lighting up the sky, yes, there's. It's like light can dis- <laughs> destroy darkness, but it's still within the emotion of it all. You know, it's still like mourning, mm. death, like oh my goodness. But then after that, it's kind of like all right, well, all of that could have been for nothing. But we just got to keep trying. You know, there's that element of it. And then you've just got forks flying away. Just to say, say, like, Dumbledore's gone, but his presence is still here sort of thing. And, you know, he's not there directly anymore, um, even though we see him in number eight. But, like, <laughs> that's not important. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I, – I, I like the ending because I think it's quite melodic. But, I, I, like, I understand – like, it's not that big of a deal in terms of – Either way, yeah. I think that the important stuff is more the like Snape right, is supposedly right. evil again and Dumbledore dies. <laughs> like, right. It's no, it's a super tiny. It's a super tiny thing in mm. the grand scheme of things, but it's just like I get there and I'm feeling like, gosh, this would be the perfect ending if credits roll is just directed by David Yates right now. And it's mm. like, oh, we got another scene. All right, like 
whatever. I think another scene, um, actually, really quickly, that is vital, I think, to Harry as a person, but you could easily skip over, is just the fact that Harry almost kills someone. Like, he almost kills Draco. Unex- like, not in- not on purpose, and then, but with Septim Septra. There's no re- yeah, there's also no repercussions for that. Yeah, but it's also it's because, like... Potter. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. And also it's Snape, like, because yeah. at that point it's like, Snape's not going to give him detention, you know, it's like there's a bit more brewing on the underside of that. Well, and Harry even attacks Snape. Mm. But there's, like, repercussions in the book, though. That's what I'm saying. Mm. Oh, for... Yeah. Got it. I, I don't know. This is, I'm, this is so weird because I, I, after somebody who was like, it's okay that the movie's different from the movie's different from the book. Like this one has always been kind of like blah for me mm. because like, I like it fine. I think mm. I, it's coming from after that high of, I love five and then it doesn't deliver on as much of the memory stuff, which I think is the most, yeah. in, most interesting part of it. And yeah. it cuts out some, like all the, like all the marauders. I, I was, yeah. And the, and then the gaunt memory stuff, like all of that, I don't know. There's yeah, just a lot of it. There's that a feels... lot of backstory. Like you learn about the what I said before about the fact that Voldemort was conceived under a love potion. You know that like yeah. who he is, the ring, the Marauders. Like honestly, it would have blown out the movie to another hour. Yeah, but I almost I, feel like I would have been fine so, with it. That would have that is. And he, well, stuff. here's the, here's the thing: is if they are at, look, they're going to remake this at some point. They should make they it as a TV a show in like 20 years. They have 20... to be able to, to not be restricted to your two, two and a half hour runtime. Mm. They have to either commit to just it's all gonna be part one and part two, and we're gonna and we're gonna have five hour stories, or like we're gonna have five episode hour long t- like it has to be longer form. I think it makes sense like, to me to just do a TV show. Like a, a show yeah. in like but there's no need for it now. But not right now. Not right know? now, like in twenty or thirty years. You know what sure, I mean? Do like, it for the next generation, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And maybe include Cedric Diggory a little bit earlier. Um, <laughs> no, you can ignore that, guys. Don't listen to Aaron. <laughs> you monster. Yeah. Um, I don't have any other notes on six. I, just, no. I think it's just one of those, like, overlooked. like Because I feel like a lot of people were like, it's not as good as Order of the Phoenix, but it's not as bad as Deathly Hollows Part 1. And I'm like, oh, it's actually really good. Like, oh. so. like, I, feel like I feel like that's the way that people have viewed it. So, mm. you know, <laughs> I speak as the commoner. Um, yeah. So and it's like it's not quite to that finale, you know, yeah. but it's does a bloody good job of setting up for it. Uh time for Deathly Hollows part one. Alice, let's start with you for the first time. Uh lower side of really liked it. Okay. <laughs> Nash? Higher side of really liked it. Mm. All right. I'm just an okay. Mm. I, I think this movie grows on me the more I watch it. So I'm probably like I shift I, I'm within the really liked it camp. I'm definitely not in the loved it. Um, and not a, like a lot of these movies, as you might've known, I'm not on loved it with every single one of them, you know, but um, the, the Deathly Hallows part one, I understand them splitting the books. Like I understand, sorry, them, the movies into part one and part two. Cause ultimately I think like, as I'll say later, I think Deathly Hallows part two is amazing. I love what a finale movie, you know, but, Part one, it's all it's it's like all the build up that you'd need to get to the exciting bit. So they almost got to skip it with the second movie, which means it's all climax and like excitement. And so this one's all the build up, but it's there's so many important character moments in this. I think one of my favorite scenes in this entire movie is Harry and Hermione in the in the campsite when they dance to Nick Cave. I think it's so beautiful. Yes. And to be honest, you know yes. what it does? It kind of affirms their friendship because I think 
at yes. this point, everyone's focusing in on Ron and Hermione and, and Harry and Ginny and, you know, the more romance things. But it's like Harry and Hermione are an integral friendship and relationship in this entire story. And people need to be reminded of that. And it just is such a beautiful moment of friendship. And, like, these at the end of the day, these are two best friends that have been thrown into an insane situation together. And they're still, even after this heartbreak of Ron leaving, you know, the third part, the supposed connecting part, they're still best friends. Like these two are not just to, like friends because of Ron. They're friends because they became friends and they are friends and they've been friends for six years or seven years through the most horrific parts of anyone's life. And so it's such a beautiful scene. I love it so much. Mm. Um, yeah, no, my, my issues with the movie is I like what, I like all what the story is trying to do. I just think this the the whole portion of the movie where they're in the woods um, just goes on for too long and probably has one or two extra um, side thing that like I think I think that they they really put an emphasis on strain on their relationships and it's like we felt strain especially marathoning them all we felt strain in all the relationships since every year since Goblet of Fire like it feels like we've gotten through this especially like after the death of Dumbledore like it really should be strong. I get that it's Ron's corrupted by the locket. Mm. Ron's corrupted by the Horcrux. So, like, I, I understand that. But I'm just like, I don't know that we need that. Like, and, and I don't know, especially for already a really long... You're, you're splitting it into two parts, and it, and they're both really long. Like, it just, to me, killed the momentum. And, like, I but I, but I also love the fact that they're not choosing to rush it. That they're choosing to say, this is a complicated way to stop this complicated... Mm. You know, this, the way that he compli- set up his... His resurrection yeah. so complicated. His 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 eternal life. So as villain plans go, it's a solid difficult. one. You know, it's not an yeah. easy like just kill him. It's like oh, I got to get rid of everyone else, and then you can go and well, and it's like and it's like well, you got to get the locket. Well, yeah. how do you get the locket? Well, you go to this one place, and you have to do this mm. thing where you know you're gonna go insane for a while until you drink all this water, so you definitely can't do it alone. And it's like, and even then, like. Now you got to find a way to destroy the locket. Well, you have to get the sword of grip. Like, yes, it's complex and intricate, and I really appreciate how they choose to take their time with that. So it's just, I, I feel like the forest scene just takes up a little bit too much runtime. But the rest of the movie, I really like. That's why I land in okay. It's just because the, the forest scenes, forest it's sequences, the majority most of the, of the movie. movie. Yeah. So, but like, I want to say, I want to say another positive. I want, I want to try to stay positive because again, I'm on the, I'm on the okay scale here. It's, it's not my favorite. Like, but. I freaking love the animation for the Deathly Hollow story. Oh my like, gosh. It's my favorite yes. animation. Beautifully realized. Ever Amazing. In a non-animated film. Yeah. Might even be my favorite animation ever. It's just gorgeous. And honestly, complete like recommend as well. Like if you've never played the Lego Harry Potter video games, there's a whole level that is in the uh mm-hmm. that is in that animation and it is just as gorgeous because it's in the same kind of style. It's so gorgeous. I love it. Uh that's by far the best part of, of the film. So that's all the notes that I had. Um, I don't have much to say. But I've always been somebody who like um, I have like a weird uh, like I have a, like a weird relationship with specifically this book and specifically this movie of the two movies. Um, hmm. I've always been somebody who's like I recognize why people don't like this one or why it's potentially not as good. It's all set up, you know. I just yeah. I think it. I think the character work is exceptional. Um, I've, I, I think it, it realizes it gets back almost to realizing the book word for word, chapter for chapter Mm. at times, which as that's my favorite book, I always loved that, but it didn't feel, um, 
it didn't feel sometimes, sometimes earlier on, it could feel a little bit forced in, in like the Columbus ones, but this mm. one, it just felt, I don't know, seamless. I, I love, I love this movie. Um, f- except for like bits and pieces. Mm. Um, but I also recognize I have a weird opinion of this movie. Like I have a weird relationship with it. And so I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm probably wrong a little bit on this one. Um, and I'm okay with that, but, mm. um, no, I really, I really like this. I think it's definitely the. I almost feel like it's the quieter of the movies of all of them. You know, yeah, the yeah. least 100%. amount happens. But again, it's because it's almost like it's focusing well, on. Imagine the- if, let's say, yeah, let's say Goblet. Well, no, no, that's bad. I, I was going to say Order of the Phoenix, but for some reason, Goblet came out of my head. If Half Blood Prince were split into two parts, the first part of Half Blood Prince would be just as slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I just think like it's it's slow because of its like all right. This is it. You know, this is part one of the yeah. end. So let's. This, this does not feel like a gimmick to do part one and part exactly. two. Like some yeah, other part and then one unfortunately, because it, this was so successful, then Hunger Games and Divergent decided to do it, which is the worst idea ever. In Twilight. those cases, and Twilight, like every other major YA f- franchise, then was like, oh, we'll just do that with our final book. But it's like, no, no, this was done like this for a reason. <laughs> like, and right. it worked because. Mocking J could have easily been one movie. Oh, yeah. all of them. All of the ones I just mentioned should just be. I one never movie. saw the Divergent. Oh, uh, so. they didn't even make it to the final movie because it was so bad. Right, like right, right. it's just, um, but it was just like this one. It, it's about like okay, reset. Where are we, guys? Like this is what this movie's doing. It's like we're at the final part. Where are we? This is the main core relationship. Let's really test its boundaries uh, and let's make it so that when we find ourselves in the final part, we understand that this is a this is the bond. This is the strongest friendship bond. Okay, where are we with like Voldemort and all of his like you know? And it explores Voldemort's world really well. Like yeah. I, like I get I get that we are we spend a lot mm. of time on the run and all that stuff, but I feel like it does it in doing so. It's showing the the world that he has created in a really short period of time. Yeah, and I so that's why it's always worked for me because I'm like, Ooh, this is, this is his, this is his plan being realized. Yeah. This is the first stages of his plan being realized. So I don't, yeah, I like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the thing. It just shows that like, if someone's powerful enough and has enough influence, it's not going to be that hard for people to just fall in line out of fear. And so the world like muggleborns and, and half, even half-blood people are already being fully ostracized in the school. It's just like they're not performing defense against the dark arts. They're just performing the dark arts. But then it also starts to build like, you know, this idea that there is this darkness is, is happening. The villains won. And now we have to kind of defeat him, but it's in this such a convoluted way. It's like, it's a brilliant plan for a villain because it's like, it's not as simple. It's hard enough to take down Voldemort, you know, as a, in a duel, but you also have to go and take down these impossible to destroy things, find them, figure out what they are, find them, figure out how to destroy them, destroy them. And then you have to defeat him all within having to do it with no resource and no help. Like, it really sets the tone of like, wow, we're in the end game here, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's kind uh, of like the same thing of infinity war and end game. You know, you've got infinity war yeah. is that like, Oh damn, he won. And then it's like, end game is like all the, woo, we gotta go. And like all the really, really exciting bits. So yeah, I, I do really like deathly house part one. Uh, so then part two, uh, I'll go with really, really, really like not quite into love. Loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it so it's, much. It's, actually, it's interesting because I think my opinion of the two movies are switched because oh. I really like part one and I solidly like part two. Okay. Um, 
And I think it's probably for the same reason of like, I like, honestly, I like the buildup more than the payoff in a lot of the cases. Some of the, some of the payoff really works. Some of the payoff, yeah. ugh, like you, you, I think they, they botched this, the, they botched the duel. I think they botched the end duel. Um, sure. They botched Voldemort's death. It's nowhere death. near as good as the Yes, that's Dumbledore what I meant. Yes. Yeah, Voldemort's yeah, death is definitely, un- I get why. From a movie audience perspective, it's more like, whoa. But I was you really You also can't looking- do what's yeah, in the book. Exactly. It's exactly. two pages of him <laughs> yeah. disclosing his whole, the whole plan. Like, it's, yeah. yeah. Abby, Abby got so mad at, at the, when we watched him this time because she was like, in the books, it's just he's just a guy. And he yeah, falls over, and that's the when, point. Whenever Harry kills that's him, that's the point. And she's like, and that's she's like, and that's the point. And like, it just shows that he's a human again. I'm like, I like the fact that he just disintegrates into ashes because it really shows that like he was never human again. The horror cruxes were the things holding him together. Now that they're gone, there's nothing binding him to like. So I'm like, I like this in the. That's like, exactly my point. I think From a, a movie audience pure perspective. The ashes yeah. work way better, but from a book reader perspective, you—it still isn't mm. fully explained or fully realized. Yeah. It's not a perfect way to do no. it, but I no, it's it's very much like a. Yeah. There's all of a sudden they you know Neville Neville kills the snake oh, and then very quickly it's just like all right let's kill let's kill Voldemort and it's just like it it just is very quick and it's like. Oh, it's such a cool moment like, though when he kills a snake. Not just because when he kills a snake, it's an awesome moment because he's like ah, you know, and right. you're like whoa. But it's also cool because it's like you see the finally, this is the first time Harry's actually fully understood his, like, <laughs> the fact that he's free of of all the stuff that's been burdening him due to him having been a Horcrux all this time. You know, like, norm- mm-hmm. in the past, when a Horcrux gets destroyed, he feels it. He's felt it. He's, like, been inca- incapacitated by it. But this time, Voldemort feels it, and he's, like, you can even see in his face, he's like, oh, my God, I'm free. And that just, like, spurs him forth into that final, you know, I'm free and, and he's weak. Exactly. And, and it's so triumphant. And, yeah. and then you have the one swing through the air and he catches it and you're just like, ah, oh! it's so exciting. I mean, you're just like, uh, I'm like, cool, he's got the other one. <laughs> I, I just really like that moment. But my favourite moment, actually, of the entire film is when they're going to – when they're going to go find Voldemort and Snape in the shriek in the shrieking shack, um, or no, not in the shrieking shack in the boathouse, um, and they're going through all the villains that they had to defeat in the earlier movies, like kind of traversing. That's such a cool moment when it's or the music is also oh my the favorite. like runner where it's like the troll, yeah. the spiders, yeah, the yeah. dementor. Yeah, I yeah. love that bit so much. It's so powerful to me, and that whole like the music of that bit's my favorite. Yeah, that's um, great. And it's just so cool because it's like. Oh, look how far we've come. I just think there's so much excitement behind it because it's like when you watch them as little babies in number one and then you're just like, I can't believe we've gotten here. And look, say what you want. Everyone has opinions. This is a – it's pretty insane that they were able to pull off this franchise the way they were. Like – Eight, oh, absolutely. Like eight films, all which are objectively well made. Like, yes, you can have theories of like you liked it, you didn't like it, but it's just so exciting. I remember being in the theater and being, it was so thrilling watching it, you know? And there were so many moments like Mrs. Weasley taking down Bellatrix was such a oh moment, you know? Mm-hmm. And for the romantics in the audience, finally seeing Ron and Hermione get together was really exciting as well. And, you know, and then obviously the end. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
Anyway, I'll stop talking. You guys can talk a bit now. <laughs> now as you mentioned your favorite moment of the movie. Mine was going to be when uh, when McGonagall makes oh. the statues start moving. I've always, like, oh, always wanted, wanted to use that, use that spell. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, um, and then there's the other one. I'm trying to find the quote exactly. I can't find it, but... Uh, McGonagall is talking to the the shorter professor. When she said the shorter professor yeah, and professor. McGonagall are out doing something. Flitwick, yeah. Flitwick, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, and it's it's something along the lines of like, well, you could either die out, you could die. It doesn't matter. Like who? She's like, it doesn't matter whether you don't know he's fighting. Gosh, I gotta find this because I really like. I it. know how he she ends it, and he's like, he's gonna kill you either way. He's that's, gonna kill. Yeah, that's how uh, she ends it. Mm-hmm. I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember the line. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, and and then there's also my wife's favorite moment in this film um, is when Harry has the resurrection stone, and when it's uh, specifically Remus uh, and uh, I. I don't know her actual name. I know you're not supposed to call her Nymphodonic, Nymphodonic, but uh, Nymphadora, like Nymphadora, that. Nymphadora. Yeah. Whatever. No, the quote. The quote um, is. Um, but, but Flitwick's like, you know, we can't. We can't keep you know who out indefinitely, and then McGonagall. Right. Yeah, and then McGonagall's like, "That doesn't mean we can't delay him. He's going to try and kill you either way." You know, yeah, it's right. a good moment. Yeah, yeah, and yes. Yeah, so oh, like, oh first no, of all, and sorry, and she's like, "Yeah," and his name is Voldemort. Yeah, 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 Phileas. Um, yeah, yeah, that's such a so comfort. so like the, Abby's favorite moment is where he has a resurrection stone and oh. like Harry's starting to lament because the uh, the kid Teddy. Um, Remus, mm. Remus's kid, uh, and and uh, and he's just like, I'm so sorry, and he's like, others will tell him of what we've done. So like, oh, others will tell him what his parents have done. And Abby, that's Abby's favorite moment. Yeah. It's like, it's hard to argue that that's not the best moment of the film. It's it's shot. Like I, my my McGonagall ones were kind of like those. Those are the ones that make me smile, mm. but like that's the one that makes me smile. That, from that my heart, scene is know? shot so beautifully. Even the way his hand closes around the resurrection stone, it's very like like choreographed yeah. almost, but especially because that's right after, you know, he's like going to his death and we've just seen, Fre- oh, Fred's death. Like I remember when I read that and then I was like, oh gosh, I'm brutal. See it. it's brutal to kill. You know, this is something that w- would, was never going to be able to be translated into the, um, into the movies because it's a quote, but it's like when he sees Fred dead in the books and it's like the shadow of his last laugh still etched upon his face and it's like his, mm. oh my God. And then it's just like. It's also one of those that as a just movie only, I'm, I'm not necessarily affected. I'm just like, okay, which one was that? Fred yeah. Goes, like it matters. Yeah. You know. <laughs> it's still like. Because uh, oh. it doesn't. They're interchangeable. But but then you see Tonks and Lupin and you're just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> well, and you even see a lot of students mourning. Yeah. You know, people we don't know. And you just, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I love I love that movie so much. It's just sometimes I'll just watch part two. I, like I'll just I'll I'll skip all of them and I'll just watch part two. I love it so much. I really admire that this film isn't just you know you get a lot of these part one and part twos and it's like part two is just a big fight. Yeah, like you know Matrix did this or whatever. I really admire that the fight is not sure the Battle of Hogwarts happens, but like it's it's not necessarily the centerpiece of the movie. Yeah, you know? it's still they still have a couple more Horcruxes to even find at the start of the movie. I was actually going to say I, my favorite part is actually the it's like the full circle realization. And you're going to notice that I'm like a total sap, but it's like when when he's leaving to go to the forest in his conversation with specifically Hermione, Ron and Hermione, like those those are my those moments right there. Um, that that's like the heart of the movie for me, and mm-hmm. that's like the heart of the whole series for. And so I I think I think the fact that the battle 
honestly, they're not even participating in the battle for a lot mm. of it is is really awesome. <laughs> like well, for I, me, like speaking of the heart of the movie, I think it's when Neville stands up for to Voldemort, you know, after oh, Harry's yes. dead. And it's like, finally, we've seen Voldemort's influence this whole time, right? We've seen him and we've seen that he's driven people and, and just his name is like enough to inspire violence. But now with like Neville, he, he verbalizes it and, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter that he's dead. And Seamus is like, stand down, Neville. He's like, no, <laughs> he's like, mm-hmm. he's still with us in here. And that's what matters. And that's, it's like, Good, sure, bad people can inspire violence, but good people can inspire hope and, and like they can inspire triumph, even just with what they were and what they represented. And it's like, finally, Harry doesn't matter in the scheme of things. What matters is that there are other people that are willing to find. And that's what this whole thing has come down to. It's like, yes, it's a Harry Potter and Harry Potter and. But at the end of the day, he couldn't have done anything if he didn't have. And I mean, this is kind of verbalized throughout the movies as well, but this is the moment where it's like, for all intents and purposes, in their opinion, he's dead, but they are still going to fight until the bitter end. And it's just such a powerful moment. And that's when he pulls out the sword and it kicks everything off again. <laughs> oh, I, um, that just reminded me. I had, uh, I had a note about the half blood prince that was just like, Harry has to relearn from one year prior that he's not fighting this fight alone. Cause that's such a big part mm. of Half-Blood Prince too. And it is for this one as well, but he's kind of finally realized. Yeah. Like, uh, like when, when he shows up at Hogwarts, like he's like, McGonagall do this, you know, McGonagall organize people to like, to get that done. He's like, he's using, he's like, I just need time. Like yeah. figure it out. We're going to make this work. And, and, and Ron and Hermione are like, we think we figured this out. We're going to go do that. Mm. You go do that. It's like, great, cool. Like, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of become more of a commander. Yeah. So, um, or a general. So I just, it, it was just, that was a negative for Half-Blood Prince for me. It was, it was like, we just learned this lesson. <laughs> Harry knows he can't do it all alone. Um, my, my one, neg- my, one of my negatives, uh, my only negative I really want to talk about for Deathly Hallows Part 2 is that hot take, I don't think they stick the landing at all. The the future scene, the 19 years <laughs> in the future. Um, I hate it. Um, and it's, it's, it's all the wrong kinds of fan service. Um, it's it's one of those things where I just look at it and it's like de aging was or de aging and and aging up were just not quite there to where it looked great. So I don't it think they just, did. I thought it was all makeup. It was makeup. Yeah. I I don't. Either way, it didn't look quite right to me. Um, it didn't look super great. And then there's also just like the moment that they lost me was where Harry's son is really shy and doesn't want to go. He's like, what if I get put He's like, Alvis Severus. He's like, Oh, that's the moment. Why on earth would you use this full name? No, I don't care about the name, name him whatever you want. And especially if it's going to have this much, but it's like you, the screenplay just wanted to throw in his full name in there. No, that's, that's what he says in the books. He says, Alvis Severus Potter, you're named after. But then the book just wanted to throw it all in. Like it's, it's, it's so it's the bad kind of fan service. Such it, a bad it didn't name. work. <laughs> I just but the but the emotions are so high. Everybody's just like, oh, he named his son Albus. Like, of course he did. Come on. No, Albus <laughs> you think is he was fine. Name him, like Richard or something. Albus is like, fine. Severus is fine. Albus Severus is stupid. <laughs> I, I don't care about the names. And look, I, I, get, I like that. And then his other kid is named something. It's James uh, serious. serious. It's. James, his great, dad and then great Sarah. i love that all the names are of important people of important guys in his life are and her daughter his daughter it's is lily the, luna so it, it's just like you you have to so it just felt like you we have to shove in the name here just so we can show how important dumbledore yeah. was to harry it's like no freaking duh yeah. anyway i think look it's just reading the book like even the epilogue like even doing it when you read the book you're just like all right 
yeah, like you didn't yeah. need it, but it's nice. And that's exactly how I felt when I watched the movie. I was like, yeah, didn't need it. It's nice. I will say I do really like how it zooms in and it's just Harry, Ron and Hermione and then it fades out. Like that moment to me is really like, oh, sure. we're at the end. And I think that's all the, like in this point, it's not really about it being a good movie. It's more about like, and that's it. All was well, you know. And and now right. Harry and they live Potter happily is done. Ever after. And we'll never make and another then J.K. Wizarding World write movie. The child. No, no, <laughs> we're done, and we finished the podcast. Thanks, guys, for coming by. Let's um, <laughs> let's. Um, all right, so there we go. There's the Harry Potter movies. We'll dive into Fantastic Beasts one and two real quick. Mm-hmm. Unless uh, Nash, did you have any final thoughts you want to say? Oh about, no, no, uh, it's fine. Okay, cool. Um, all right. I, I have next to nothing to say about both of these movies. I've almost uh, nothing to say Beasts about Fantastic to Beasts. Them. Like the movie's fine. I've it's okay. Yeah, that's my opinion. All right. So on the like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, think it's just okay. The first one you think is just okay. Yeah, it's okay. Like me too. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. All right. I was higher on this one. This is this is the one. <laughs> um, this is the this is one of the ones that actually like I came down on a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I, it's because the first half of this movie is so good and the second half is just no good. Yeah. Like where it's just Newt loses the animals in New York. We're n- we haven't seen magic in the US. Newt's a new character. I love 1920s. Like, uh, you know, t- especially when you get like big cities like New York. I l- I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. You get these fantastical creatures that it doesn't really matter what they do, whatever. They're just gorgeous. Like it's this charming little delightful film with really charming side characters like Jacob and Queenie. Mm. Um, and they're likable in this movie. Mm-hmm. And then they're not in the next one. But, um, but like it's, it's, I love that movie. It's, it's not high stakes. Um, there's kind of a constant presence of like, Oh, you know, something big is going on. You know, it's going to lead there. But for the most part, it's Newt lost a bunch of animals. Yeah. Going to go try to find them. Like, so, and, and it's fun to see the bewilderment of Jacob, who's the not match. Mm. So, and it's fun to see like how they operate in different countries. and losses. So like, I, I really like all the things they did differently about Harry Potter for fantastic beasts. It's when they just kind of be like, all right, well let's get back into, here's a villain that has to think that, 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 uh, that magic people are superior and not yeah. and like get into all this. Like he has to be a big bad. We have to set him up. You know, like, well, and Eddie Redmayne's really yeah. great as Newt Scamander. Like he's, he's, so, he's so, so good. good. And, and Niffler is like an all timer for me. Oh, and that's what I'm, I, so. I fully agree with you, Aaron. Like, I think it, the, I enjoy the Fantastic Beasts and where to find them part of the Fantastic Beasts and where to find the movie. Like, I think that that was fine. And honestly, if this had been a one-off companion, we learn a bit about this guy that wrote this textbook that was part of the original series. And to be honest, when I found out what the actual story was going to be, that this was ultimately going to the big fight between Grindelwald and Dumbledore, which is why Dumbledore is so respected nowadays in 1945. When I found out that was a storyline, I was excited because I was like, that's a cool story. I don't think it's been executed in the best way. All good. No, no, nobody does. So, and, yeah. But it's also one of those... And so I just this, wish they'd left it alone. Is- I just wish they'd left it alone and just left it to like Newt Scamander and Fantastic Beasts and just a little... This would be an base. excellent spinoff. Yeah. Yeah. But but there's also the the element of like we know how the fight's gonna end with Dumbledore and Grindelwald. Yeah. Like we know because it's referenced. Like it's it's a big case of prequelitis with lots of yeah. things here. Yeah. So oh, and I'm also a very not a fan of any of these like 
know, they did it at the end of Men in Black 2, but the whole, like, we're going to make a bunch of people have amnesia, like, <laughs> convenient. Yeah. When, when the whole point is, like, you're not supposed to do magic in front of these things, they completely ruin well, all the, like, secretive stuff. What I'll say is that if you didn't know that J.K. Rowling wrote the screenplays for both this and Crimes of Grindelwald, you'd think the person who wrote the screenplays had not even seen the movies or read the books before. Because somehow she gets her own world wrong. Like so many things. And I'll get into it with Crimes of Grindelwald, but it begin it starts to show in Fantastic Beasts. And then it really gets into it in Crimes of Grindelwald. And it's just like you wrote you created this world. How did you mess it up so badly? Like you re oh, it's just anyway. I have so many more thoughts about Crimes of Grindelwald, but yeah, Fantastic Beasts as a whole, I don't have very many on. Like, I enjoy it. It's fine. I hey, Alice and I are on the exact same page for once. <laughs> nice. Uh, Nas, do you have anything to add? You've just been kind of listening and nodding. I mean, it's it's tough because I mean, you guys, it's so it's borderline forgetful. I have yeah. always come down on the side of exactly what you're saying. Of in my eyes, they had no idea what they wanted to do, really. Mm. And why why is it called Fantastic Beasts? Why are five movies called this? And it feels like every like the beasts are being shoehorned yeah, in. Need to be mm. five movies. Yeah, like and, and we can get into whether or not you think they're actually going to be five movies. I don't. I have at this point. I, I think a lot depends on the success I, of the next. Well, they, they movie. Just, both made a lot of money, like a lot of money. But people yeah. hate the next this this next movie. Yeah, and, or the, this last movie and. I haven't seen any good necessarily press about the one coming up too. So I don't know. It is so, I just get, I wonder bored. if we're going to have to just wrap it up and do, do it in the four. They will get a finale. They won't leave it undone, but they might, instead of doing five, they might get four. Mm. Yeah. I just, I, I, I don't know. It's such a, it's huge. It's such a huge letdown. And if they were going to do the Grindelwald story, okay, do the Grindelwald story. If you're going to do a fantastic beast story, do a fantastic yep. beast story. Shove instead, them into one. Yeah. instead you did them together. And now they're like, weirdly referenced i don't like and you know what it has, Eddie it, it has the same problem that the x-men prequels had where it's like it jumps de it's it ha well in this case it has to jump decades if it needs to get to 1945 and we started in the 20s mm -hmm. and so it's got the same problem where it's like they're gonna age 20 years but they're not and it's gonna be weird and also <laughs> dumbledore apparently aged 40 years in look or like 80 years in looks in 10 years like it's just I mean, should we just get to Crimes of Grindelwald? Because there's really not much say to say about Fantastic yes. Beasts. Um, yeah, no, yeah. That's, that's fine. I was all out of notes. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll maybe shock you here. I'm not going to go and hate it. I'm going to go and really, really, really didn't like it. Mm -hmm. I hate it. I, I object. I hate it. <laughs> hate it so much. I've only seen it once, and that was when I saw it in cinema, and yet I remember everything about it. That is how much I hate. Let me it. let me give you my quick defense why I'm not in hate. Okay. Uh, the visuals are gorgeous, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> especially especially in when they're using all the colors. Mm. Um, colors in this movie are gorgeous. That's that's the one positive I have to well, say. Well, that's in I both. Like the depiction of magic and and the way it looks is great. Yes. David it, Yates is still behind the camera, and he still knows what he's doing with the with the movies. And somehow awesome. J.K. Rowling has completely lost the plot. Literally, like I just, yeah. but oh, I. Alice, you since you remember things yeah. about this movie, I've seen this movie twice now. Both times I've just gotten up and done other things because I was bored mm -hmm. 20 minutes in and don't feel like I missed anything. Um, I, I don't know whether I don't like this movie because it's actually a bad movie a, a, or it's a, it's a bad story or it's just that there's not really much of one. It's like, a bad story. The story is just – it does not okay. make sense because – 
like for example, if you took look at it from a Harry Potter fandom point of view, it's it's spitting in the face of every Harry Potter fan. From from the fact that McGonagall is in this as like a 30-year-old, but she was meant to have only been born now. So like apparently now in the Harry Potter movie, she's like 160 years old or something. Like because of the age she apparently is in this. From that to the fact that like Credence is a Dumbledore at the end, which absolutely makes abs- like literally less than no sense. Because again, there's the whole mm-hmm. fact that this is a prequel. We know about Aberforth. We know about their sister. There's never been a, a touch of another Dumbledore and there shouldn't be because that literally makes no sense whatsoever. Then you have the fact that, um, you know, one argument, a single argument is enough to turn who was uh, like arguably one of the best characters of Fantastic Beasts in um. Oh gosh, what was her name? I'm Queenie. just Queenie. Thank Queenie. you. I loved, I loved, I loved all the characters. Yeah. in the well, first Well, Queenie's one. so great. None of them in the second. She's so so great in the Except first one. Newt. Still okay. Yeah, she's so great in the first one, and then in this one, one argument is enough to apparently turn her so bad that she is able to walk through fire due to the like passion of her convictions and not be burned up by it because she had a single argument with Jacob which is in one day like it's the, the it doesn't make any sense. Then you have the fact that Zoe Kravitz is in it as a Lestrange is just this humongous red herring with this baby that literally doesn't matter at all. So her whole presence in uh-huh. this movie is stupid. And then on uh-huh. top of that, you have the sh- absolute shoving, the most like ham-fisted shoving of Nicholas Flamel for ab- the only reason being, oh, remember him from Philosopher's Stone? Yeah, let's put him in this as a quirky character. And then you have Dumbledore who's just like Jude Law. I, I, I will say I'm, I enjoy him as Dumbledore, but he makes no sense within this movie except for the fact that he is, needs to be in it for where it's going to lead to. And then you just, <laughs> just, it makes no sense. The way this whole story comes about, like the fact that Credence is in it and then Nagini. Let's talk about Nagini. Now I have to feel bad about the literal personification of Evil Snake because turns out she was a good guy. And at the end of this movie, she's still a good guy. So I don't know what what is the switch where she goes from person who's willing to go against Grindelwald and is undergoing this horrific sna- fate of ev- eventually becoming a snake to literally suckles, like Voldemort literally suckles her teat and she encases his soul and like is the reason for the next Grindelwald to rise. Like where does not compute. It's just lazy. You know what it is? It's like what Snape said, lazy, arrogant, and it's just a spitting and slap in the face of anyone that's been a massive Harry Potter fan. That is my I just want to point out, you got you got so mad about like one argument ruining their thing. And, and the one argument is about him thinking that it's crazy to get married when that is the one thing that could threaten their relationship. Yep. Yet there's no argument about the fact that she enchanted him for months and was going to marry him against his will. Yep. Yep. I wish I could say I expected more <laughs> of things that J.K. Rowling might include. Uh, anyway. I, I just That's I my, my TED mind. talk. <laughs> no, that's my TED talk. Like, it's just... I just don't care about anybody in this movie. And like, especially the person I'm probably supposed to care about the most, like Tina, because we're supposed to be like, yeah, Newt cares about Tina. We want Newt Tina together. I'm like, I don't care if they're together. Yeah, I don't care at all. I and, and Queenie and Jacob were really great side characters in the first movie. And I don't like them in this one at all. Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, Niffler's still cool. I like Niffler well, the, still. The, and Niffler gets some. And Niffler gets some little Niffler. Ironically too. enough, the Fantastic Beasts are still great. <laughs> like the actual right. ac- el- animal elements are still really cool. But like, oh, I just it, the actual story is just oh, let's do this because this would be cool. Times two hours and whatever. Like that's pretty much the I story. I don't care as much of the, about the whole like oh like. Ezra Miller's a Dumbledore, like that doesn't make any sense. I, I'm not not so much as that, but it's like it's just like so what, like mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's 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 all those like okay, like it it really feels like most of this movie you could like if you were to rewatch it, you could probably just completely skip the second one. Like I it will. just feels that way. Like like this, like not even just because you don't like it, but because you're not going to miss anything. Yeah. Like, that's just kind of what it feels like to me. Yeah, so, and, like, speaking of the next one... Maybe you could watch the last five minutes and that would be <laughs> just enough, Just read you know? the Wikipedia page. It's fine. But, like, what gives me hope with this new one and why I will go see it... I mean, obviously I would anyway because, again, Harry Potter nerd. But, like, J.K. Rowling wrote this screenplay and, as I'm sure, like, as we talked about, that is not her strong suit at all amongst other things. But the person who wrote the screenplay for the new movie is um, Stephen Cloves, who wrote all the Harry Potters, like the screenplays for them. And so... So uh, Rowling is just a producer, right? She... I, I wouldn't maybe even say that credit. much. Yeah, she probably gets like... Based on, based on the screenplay by... Yeah, or based... Yeah, so she probably wrote a, a, a like treatment. I wouldn't be surprised if Stephen Cloves threw the whole thing out and just kept like basic plot points. But I have hope that his partnership with David Yates is actually going to finally give us a decent film. Um, See, I think I have no dis. I, I am coming into this new movie with so such little anticipation because I feel like there's so many threads that they have that she has left dangling mm-hmm. that are, that aren't going to go anywhere. For instance, Tina—that's her name—not mm-hmm. um, in any of the new trailers. And yep. I'm like, okay, and and I think that's probably because behind the scenes politics. I mean, I. I, I feel like Lita uh, Lestrange or um, Zoe Kravitz is, isn't going to be in it going forward. I just feel like well, she everything, died. It's going to. Oh, di- oh, did she? In the yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah. She gets burned okay. up. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. See, right. I st- Oh yeah, yeah. She does. I yeah. Okay. Um, I I just feel like it's going to be so. They're gonna. They're gonna. If they course correct, it's going to be so weird in terms of it, like a, of a, a shift back. I I. I just don't have any hope for it whatsoever. <laughs> I, I know, like it bums me out because like I do love the world, but it's just I'm burned now, and I'm like, what is going on with all these characters that you know? And now we have our third actor playing Grindelwald, which I'm mm-hmm. so bummed out. Colin Farrell didn't stay. I love. I, I, I kind of like the idea of. I kind of like the idea of just let a different person play him in every movie, um, play him in every movie. Right. Like, I don't know if they're going to do that, but at this point, just do yeah. it. just have him keep on like, and especially if you can keep on getting high caliber actors like Colin Farrell and Mads Mikkelsen and Johnny Depp, like mm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Zero anticipation besides the fact that Jude Law is great and he's beautiful. And I'm like, great. Okay. I'll, I'll watch Jude Law be Dumbledore, I guess. Yeah. Like, I just, I think there's potential here. And look, they could. They could pull it off, and this could actually be really good. And then I'll watch all the Harry Potters, I'll watch Fantastic Beasts, and then I'll just skip to this one and watch this and the next one or the next two. In which case, if there's... you're assuming they're going to be good. Again, assuming that they end up being good. And if, in the scheme of things, one movie ended up being awful terrible, then 
pretty good hit rate. But I just think Crimes of Grindelwald is just... I wouldn't even mind if they fully like course correct and make it so that you can just skip over it and just, uh, it just isn't even worth talking about. <laughs> like I just talked about it for so long, but it's like, I haven't seen, I literally haven't seen it since I saw it in cinemas because it, it angers me so much. I just feel like you, that's such a dangerous thing to do. If you do that, if you like kind of almost borderline retcon, everything that happens in oh, this movie. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I like, and that's, and, but, and that doesn't, and I think, uh, maybe there's a part of me that like, oh, sure, I would love that because then all that stuff is nonsense and I would never have to watch it again. Yeah. But it's also, it's just, a, I don't know. They, it's like they've burned a bridge and now I'm like, okay, try to rebuild it, buddy. I don't know if you can. And I don't know if it, I have faith in them rebuilding it at this point. It would be different if we thought the first Fantastic Beast movie was better, but I just can't get excited about this one, especially because I'm not the biggest fan of the original eight films. Yeah. So if you're saying there's, that this is going to be five, the first one was okay, and the second one was piss poor. Like, should I get excited about a third mm. one? Like, and is it going to just keep being five movies of what, half of it being about uh, a mass zoolog- magic zoologist or whatever? Mm, magic and, and right. beast? Yeah. I mean, you hope with the way that it ends with them restoring the relationship with Dumbledore, you hope that Dumbledore will be a bigger role in this. Well, path, I mean, but... secrets of Dumbledore. I think the thing is, you can tell by the marketing that they're like, you can tell that they're like, we screwed up, we get it, but remember, we like give us a chance. Like everything in the marketing is screaming that a from the fact that it's called secrets of Dumbledore to be like, you guys like Dumbledore. Remember Dumbledore. You guys like Dumbledore to the trailer. I don't know if you got, did you guys watch the original, like before they released the trailer trailer where it was Mm -hmm. like the teaser. I'm sure the first two minutes is literally like, remember how much you love Harry Potter and the wizarding world. Look at the movie clips. Look at the wizarding world. Look at like all the cool things. Let's also take into account that we've gotten to stew on Grand Grindelwald, the fan of Crimes of Grindelwald, mm. for four years because that movie came out in 2018, and because of COVID, like it, it's not like it delayed between the first and second one because yeah. we would have still been like, sure, yeah, but but I think like in hindsight yeah. they've been like, oh yeah, no, we scru- screwed up, and so they've spent so much marketing reminding fans that they're worth giving another chance, and so I'm like, you know what, I will. But if you break my heart again, I swear, like, I will not be, I will not go down quietly. So, yeah, I is don't know. Is Tina even in the movie? She is. She like is that's... in the movie. Okay. No, she is. Yeah. Okay. It's just so odd to me that she's not even in any of the marketing. Like, that's mm. such a concern. Like, she's a main character. Like, what are you going to yeah, do? Yeah, but is she, though? What did she even do in the last one that mattered? You know what I mean? Like, they're just trying to focus on the bits that they know will actually bring people in, which is Jude Laura Zumbledore, um... Newt Scamander, the Fantastic Beasts, and Mads Mikkelsen. That's literally it. Well, let's get on to ranking these because okay. we're already running. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I f- really hoping this wasn't going to be the case, but um, hopefully editing cuts down some mm-hmm. of this. I doubt it because we're always on. To be fair, we're talking about uh, ten films. Have, like, so, you know. All right, Alice. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Alice, let's let me let me get your ranking okay. um, first. My ranking goes <clears throat> from 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 one to yeah. ten. So start at the tippy top. Yeah. Prisoner of Azkaban at number one. Deathly Hallows Part 2, Order of the Phoenix, Philosopher's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, Goblet of Fire, Deathly Hallows Part 1, Half-Blood Prince, Fantastic Beasts, and then 8 Million Spaces, Crimes of Grindelwald. <laughs> That's mine. Um, okay. Um, you went fast. I was oh. writing them all down. Uh, what is your number six, real quick? Sorry, uh, I- Goblet of Fire. Goblet. All right. Yeah. That's the one I was like, I can't agree. Yeah. Uh, Nash, let me hear yours. Uh, Order of the Phoenix, Azkaban, uh, Deathly Hallows Part 1, Deathly Hallows Part 2, 
Philosopher's Stone, Half-Blood Prince, Goblet of Fire, Chamber of Secrets, and then Beast 1, Beast 2. All right. Um, I have Order of the Phoenix at the top, Prisoner of Azkaban at number 2, uh, Deathly Hollows Part 2, uh, Half-Blood Prince, uh, The Sorcerer's Stone, uh, Deathly Hollows Part 1, The First Fantastic Beast, then The Goblet of Fire, then The Chamber of Secrets, then The Crimes of Grindelwald. So... <laughs> What? You have the first Fantastic Beasts above? I will oh fight tooth above and nail. I will make yes. this a five-hour podcast. I will what not you? be budging on Fantastic Beasts and Crown of Grindelwald having the yeah, last two yeah, slots. You're getting hard vetoed there. Yeah. <laughs> those are, those are... No, I mean, like, no, this is the thing. is We have to come to a consensus. Both of you have them at the bottom. <laughs> like, that says something, yeah. right? Yeah. This is these are this is not my opinion anymore. <laughs> this is collective yeah, opinion, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? we've, we've talked about goblet of fire mm. right um uh, okay so <laughs> where to even start okay uh well, I'd say, let's start at the extreme yeah. opposites so we uh, we know what is going to be number number 10 mm-hmm. um, Easy. yep and i feel like we're pretty good to say that i think we can we can go ahead and say what number nine is as well mm-hmm. right i think we can go ahead and say that's the first yeah. fantastic beast yeah i feel like the way this list is it probably means that chamber is going to have to be number eight i'm fine with that I'm uh, totally fine. Yeah, I know Alex liked it more than I us, do, but, but I fully respect it's two hours and forty-one minutes. <laughs> like it's, I, I'm, I, I'm fine with it. Um, let's see. Nash has Goblet at seven, and I have it at eight. You have it six, Alice. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the next. Yeah. Does, does that make sense to be there at seven? Yeah, I'm fine. With yeah, that. I'm fine with that. Yeah. All right. Um. All right. Just conveniently, my bottom four are the bottom four. Uh, <laughs> I promise I'm not trying to rig this. I'm trying to make this the least biased. Um, all right, let's see. Half-Blood Prince. Probably Half-Blood Prince would be yes. next. I have it higher than you guys, but you have six and eight, and I have four. Yep. So that probably makes sense to have it at yep. six. Um, then I'd okay. say Deathly uh, Hallows Part 1 would be next. I think Part mm-hmm. 1. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, That's five. I like it. I like it better than Philosopher's Stone, but yeah, I can see it going above. Yeah, no yeah, way. I mean, those two are back to back for me. So, 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 does it go? I'd say it goes part one, part one and then Stone. Yeah, part one, then Stone, and then we have the top three that we need to determine. Um. Uh, well, we both have Phoenix and As- well, me and Nash have Phoenix and Azkaban at one and two. I okay. I will. <laughs> I I will just go against myself and say I do think that. Prisoner of Azkaban is objectively the best movie in the franchise. And I think it is the correct decision to make it one. I just think that Order of the Phoenix is my favorite. But I would be very I, satisfied if we went Prisoner of Azkaban. I'm happy to put Phoenix as number two and then part two as number three. I would be very yeah. fine with that. That I that is not the way I would pick it, but this is the collective. Um and so and I rank everything by favorites. Mm. I don't do best anymore because everything's objective i i mean um, that's the thing is i'm looking at it from like okay they're on, on, on letterbox i have them both as five stars okay mm, well me too so where am i putting them so and that's why i'm like okay well, i think what quran is doing is a little bit better i guess yeah. so i guess i think i think uh, yeah it, it, to me it's literally a split hair so yeah um, yeah yeah. Uh, okay. I, I think we'll go with Alice's proposal. Yes. So Azkaban. And like literally uh, on Phoenix. my list, I have like an arrow where for me, Deathly Hallows Part 2 and Prisoner of Azkaban, they change because I'm similar to you in that it's like Deathly Hallows Part 2 might be my favorite, but I 
I really also love it's like split hair it's like I don't even know it's hard to even separate best from favorite with those two so I'm totally like but also Order of the Phoenix like they're just all really good and so I'm just kind of like I also feel like none of us had to compromise too much I mean Alice had to compromise Chamber of Secrets going on to five to Mm. eight I know you like but I'm fine you you love that yeah I'm fine with Um, that you know Nash had to go part one yeah Deathly Alice Mm. part one from three to five like Half-Blood Prince from four to six. Like, there was never, like, a massive, like, one of us really loved a movie, the others didn't. Mm. Or, like, you know, I had Goblet of Fire really low, but you guys didn't have it terribly high. Like, it was it was still mostly low. So, like, I feel like that's a pretty pretty good way. Yeah. So, all right. So, to read this down, um, I have Prisoner of Azkaban, Order of the Phoenix, Deathly Hallows Part Two, um, the F- Sorcerer Stone, Philosopher's Stone, whatever region you live in, um, Deathly Hallows Part One, uh, that's the top five, and then uh, Half Blood Prince, Goblet of Fire, Chamber of Secrets, Fantastic Beasts, and then Crimes of Grindelwald. Woo! <laughs> that sounds like a pretty. I'm satisfied. Very satisfied. And I don't know that that would even be the case if we did a whole collective sift pop, or if we went off an algorithm or something. If we use the BEC algorithm, I wouldn't even know if that was be the like, case if you were talking to me in a year. You know, <laughs> like. <laughs> these things change, right? Yeah, I-, I could make a couple predictions. I think Part One might be a little lower. I think. Fantastic Beast would be above Chamber no of Secrets. Way. No love, way. Uh, no way. People love to hate No way. That's the thing. Is I think but, I think we have it chunked out right. I think mm, we have the bottom right, so. the top right, and the middle right. I just think maybe in within that area, people mm. are changing. But yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I couldn't see the overall. You know, and Azkaban probably would be the one on top, even though like actual like I don't know. It, it yeah, it, it feels like. It, it's interesting i thought about bringing this up earlier azkaban is the one that you if you ask me it's my favorite but like anytime i've watched order of the phoenix recently it's like no that one's mm. better like i like that one more but um uh, but it's just there's more memorable moments because when i think of order of the phoenix even though the best part of the movie is the ending i think of all the stuff with umbridge not with whatever so i'm like really that one not the stuff with the you know the werewolf and the time turner yeah it's like anyway Great. There's your official Sif Pop ranking. Um, took us a while to get there, but I'm, I'm happy we did get there. Uh, means all we have to do is a spinoff. We'll go super quick on this. Uh, something in any area of pop culture you want to recommend or warn. I will do a quick recommend. I, wrote, I watched this film again because uh, I wrote about it for the BEC this week. If you have not seen Don't Think Twice, it's a really great uh, film. Mike Birbiglia is one of my favorite stand-up comedians. He wrote and directed and stars in this film. It's about an improv group, group where... Um, one one member gets on essentially Saturday Night Live and how that kind of affects group dynamics. And there's a lot of other things going on. I love uh, Don't Think Twice. I think it got, gets better each watch. Um, and I love Mike Birbiglia. I'm excited to see what he does next. So um, big recommend for me. Nash, what do you got? Um, I was just going to... Um, mine was probably going to be my favorite movie that I've seen this year, which if you haven't watched Kimmy yet mm. on HBO Max, the Zoe Kravitz um, Soderbergh movie, the... If you want to watch a good Zoe Kravitz movie, yeah, <laughs> um, and I, yeah, and that, that was kind of my tie-in. Um, it's a it's a really well well done little tight thriller. Um, it uses tech. I stopped tying in since it is kind of yeah. inherent in the, the spinoff title. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think it's so far it's my favorite movie of 2022. Mm. Um, so I re- definitely recommend it too. And it's HBO Max. So if you have that, you can watch it at home. Sweet. I've been hearing a lot of people say some really good things about this. So. 
I'll probably check it out at one point. Alice, what you got? Yeah, mine is a new show on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, it is brought to you by Ben Stiller, who created it, and it's called Severance. And yep. it is so cool. Cool is the word because it's basically, uh, for those of you- Is this the Adam yeah. Scott yes. one? Mm-hmm. So it's got okay. John Turturro, Adam Scott, Patricia, uh, gosh. Um, Arquette? Thank you, Arquette. I, I, was, I went to say- uh, um, someone else and then I was like no that's wrong Patricia Arquette um it's got a fantastic absolutely fantastic cast um but and it's like I said it's created oh and Christopher Walken how could I forget him but it's also created by Ben Stiller and for those of you who don't know what it's about it's basically about kind of this like you know higher concept sci-fi where it's in a world where you can now undergo a procedure to have the ultimate work-life balance whereby you sever your your memories so that you only have one set of memories when you're at work and you remember absolutely nothing from the outside and then when you're outside you remember absolutely nothing from work um and so it's this it's got this really creepy tone you know there's obviously something else happening on the underline here and you know you got to you want to try and figure it out and it's also cool because it really kind of plays with this idea of like ethics and and like these people who work they always are at work because they don't remember leaving work. So they will just, their memories restart every day arriving to work and they don't have a life outside. And so it's like a whole other identity. And so it's about kind of playing with those dynamics. Plus the cast is really great. Um, It's very, yeah, it's kind of like Black Mirror with like a little bit of, um, if anybody watched the show, um, is is it Manic? Uh, Maniac, sorry. The show Maniac with Emma Stone and, and, um, and, and Jonah Hill, very reminiscent of that tone, uh, and that was really great. So if you really like that, I would recommend watching this. It's on Apple TV+, Plus, um, and it's been really cool to watch. Every every week I'm like, oh, new episode. So that doesn't happen a lot, so definitely wanted to recommend. Nice. Well, that'll do it. Uh, apologies for the long episode, but, you know, it just wasn't ever going to be any other <laughs> way. Um, so hope, you know, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> if you can't tell by <laughs> I need a drink after it, this one. Yeah. <laughs> I've been drinking. Um, the uh, that's a wrap. Quick reminder: to Pop Art Room is part of Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at StudioDNA.media by searching in your Studio DNA in your podcast player. If you want to get in contact with the show, send us a question to explore during the B plot, please. Writers Room at SifPop.com, or you can also get in contact with the SifPop Twitter. While you're at Twitter, go and check me out at Schweitcastle um, or Letterboxd at Schweitcastle as well. Ways you can connect with me in the show. Uh, but uh, Nash, you've not been on here before. Where, where are places you want to encourage people to chat with you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd at Nash underscore doll. Um, yeah, want to give me a follow? Yell at me for my opinions. I think I'm the only one getting yelled at. Uh, <laughs> and Alice. Sorry, oh, we're still friends, Aaron. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, just if anybody's going to go on Twitter and complain, they're going to complain to me. <laughs> Not necessarily. What do you want to send people out? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, obviously, right for Sif Pop. So, my next will probably, yeah, be the one stop pop and look. If you think it's going to be the Batman, you might not be wrong. Um, but that'll be the next <laughs> one to look out for. And then, uh, yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd and Instagram at Ali G Mick, A-L-I-G-M-I-C-H. So feel free to, you know, message me and DM me on there on maybe why you think I was, I'm a bit too passionate and maybe I should just calm down a little bit regarding Harry Potter. That's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, DM Alice that she needs to give Aaron less of a hard time for his Harry Potter things. <laughs> yeah. No, it's fine. Um, you know, this stuff is subjective and you clearly have a, a, a more passionate history than I do. So 
It's all this good. whole time I've just been looking at my um, Harry Potter shelf to like draw power from. Just <laughs> <laughs> uh, despite all the yelling, I had a really great time. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming on. Me Absolutely. too. Appreciate Thank it. you. Uh, we'll have you on again on sometime uh, soon, but uh, but that'll do it for this episode. Next week, uh, this is a fifth one. So next, there's no next month. Uh, next week we'll be doing um, a uh, uh, nostalgia week. I got Foster and Scott coming on. Uh, we're talking about the Goonies and National Treasure. A little bit of theme there. Should be a lot of fun for us to check out. And um, um, if whenever Fantastic Beasts three come out, you guys are welcome to join me back for a mini review for that. So count me in. Um, Gladly. we can get the whole franchise in. so we'll do that whenever that comes out you can expect to see that in your player um yeah we'll yeah <laughs> so add on to this three-hour episode uh all right thanks for listening we'll catch you next week